All right, we're back in the event. We got uh, we got my man Birdman Tommy. What's up, Tommy? What up? What up? And we're putting back together some crew here from way back in Okinawa. We got Melissa Whitaker. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? So I'm feeling really good actually today. I started the day off solid. I got a good project going. Uh, Tommy looks like you did too. Yeah, I got one set of blinds. I'll get the other ones when we're done here, and I'm rocking and rolling on a Saturday. So we're well, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, we got we we're like. <laughs> almost coastal right now we got we got the kind of the west coast but eastern portion of the west coast we got a mm-hmm. little, little west in utah and then we're all the way over in ohio right now so time zones Heartland, are, baby. everybody's doing what they're doing so yeah i mean i got up and i got up way too early today i'll just say that and, yeah these <laughs> clowns behind me got up way too early and i had to let them out oh boy you got a whole lot of dog going on there look at that yeah there's three of them love that <laughs> I just got a puppy. I'm struggling. I'm not gonna lie. Like, oh, how old? So she's like six months. Um, she's doing good, but my dog. I brought a dog home from Japan, mm-hmm. and he's like 13 years old. So like, or 14 now, and he's like not about it. He's just like, yeah. I can't believe you guys did this to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a little. It's been a little tricky, but. All right. So we were all stationed in Okinawa together for a little while. Um, yep. At various times. So, Melissa, why don't you tell us kind of what you had going on in the Marines and, like, I, 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 I feel like you went recruiting after you left or something, didn't you? I did, yeah. So maybe break yeah, so, that down for us. Okay, sure. So um, when I joined the Marine Corps in 99, in May of 99, I went to boot camp in January 2000, um, and my first duty station was, uh, was Okinawa. And when I was there um, – I did go into AIS, but I think it was like like a year and a half after being there, maybe two years. Wow. Um, I ended up spending six years in Okinawa, not really by choice. The last year and a half was a legal hold for a case that I worked, which was a captain in the Air Force. It was a DOI hit and run. Mm. Um, so that put me in a legal hold position because he had had a couple of different incidents. And so the Air Force really wanted to kind of put it to him. So anyway, but yeah, when I was uh, in Okinawa, I was there from 2000 left in April 2006 and then went to recruiting as a canvassing recruiter to recruiting station Seattle Mm. and there I recruited at the station that I actually recruited was recruited out of and I even had the same high school that I went to so that was kind of cool to see some of my teachers and help those kids and that was during the time that we were approved to go to 202 by Congress and so that was a little bit of a difficult situation at the time Recruiting Station Seattle didn't really want female Marines because there wasn't, it's not very common that you have successful female recruiters. And so that was a little difficult to kind of get myself uh, in that position, like just kind of sell myself like, hey, I can do this. I'm motivated. I'll make it happen. This is where I'm from. You know, it was just, it was, it was definitely a challenge. And so was a successful recruiter for a couple years. And then my last year there, they put me as the program specialist because our female pool um, was problematic. There was issues with, uh, you know, going to boot camp, um, contracting, weights, IST, which is the initial strength test. And so I, I left my recruiting station. And I went and did, uh, I helped them a little bit with like all the stations. At the time, we had 14 recruiting substations. So all over the state of Washington, northern Idaho. And I would travel to those and go talk to the females and get them set up. And at that point, I was a staff sergeant. So then then I got orders to go back to Camp Pendleton, where I was told by a master gun that I was going to be the traffic chief. And I was for two seconds and worked with a horrible blueberry, who was my OIC. Mm. And 
Yeah. So I begged the monitor to give me orders after about a year, year and a half there. And so then I went to a ground unit and that was great. And there was a lot of talk about all the things that I was going to do. And then I got on the hist or the hearst, whatever you want to call it, to go back to an SDI. Wow. Yeah. How does that work? Special duty assignment, SDI. Yeah. How are you a two-timer? That doesn't make any sense. Oh my God. It was so frustrating. Um, when that happened at the point, it was like 2011, I had already been back into the fleet for two years. And at that point I was in the below zone. So I was going to get geared up to go or, you know, to be looked at for gunning. And so I was like, great, this is right on track. Everything's good. The career planner, he told me you're going to be a part of 12 tac one. You're going to go to Afghanistan. But then my company and also the MEFs basically said like, Hey, she's not going to be able to go, even though she's an E6 and this would be great for her career. She's a female. All of our roles in Afghanistan at that point in 2012 were embedded with, you know, these police departments. And yeah. as the yeah. high-ranking female, there's no way they're going to listen to me. So that was scratched. And then they're like, okay, we're going to put you on the MU. You're going to go to Mount Lethal. This is going to be great. After that was kind of aligned, once we stood up the law enforcement battalion down in Pendleton, completely changed because that hiss came back out. And then they were looking at previous you know, special duty assignment Marines that had been successful. So that way they could go back out because they were having problems. Cause that's when the down, like the down, uh, what was it? What were we doing? Downsizing. Yes. So I was set through some mistake and I went and I tried to get that fixed and everything. And at the time that was 2011, my husband would have been retiring in 2012. Um, and they told me basically flat out like, Hey, either you do this or you deny orders. And at that point I had 12 years in who denies orders at 12 years. You know, I was like, I can't do that. I, I've put so much into this at this point. I'm like, I'm going to be career. I'm retiring from this. I'm getting mine. Yeah. You needed to. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, did you want to retire in that or no? I I don't, I feel like what happened with that then? Oh yeah. So I ended up, um, you know, they told me that I could basically pick the SDA that I wanted to do. I'm like, well, well, shit. I mean, I might as well go back to recruiting because I've already been successful at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I wouldn't be doing the same thing as a campus recruiter. Maybe I can run a station. And so I contacted RS Seattle. I talked to some of the 8412s, the pre-recruiters who knew me still that yeah. were there. They said, absolutely. We'll have you back. You'll run a station. This is what we'll do. So then I went back to recruiting. And at that point, I knew that I was going to have to become a career recruiter because I as a staff sergeant, six years out of your MOS, I knew that I was going to have trouble getting looked at for gunning to actually pick up. And and that did happen. And so I got passed over my first time and that was in 2014. And so I was like, yep, okay. I'm going to have to make this commitment to be a career recruiter. In 2015 had a, you know, the 8412 inspection passed. Everyone was all on board at the time. I think there was like maybe six female 8412s in the whole entire Marine Corps. Yeah. Not so, many. What's that? There aren't many. No, God, no. Um, so that was all set. You know, everyone was on board. and um, But I was having some medical problems. So what ended up happening is even though my heart and mind were all about it, uh, I knew that I physically could not continue on to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, my command was great. I think I had probably the best command when I got out of the Marine Corps, the best command I could have had. My CO was supportive. He knew that I was working on it. I was trying to fix it. I was on medication. We were all about it, but I was still making missions, still making shipping. Out of the 15 staff and COICs he had, you know, I was the one that was 
you know, well, one of the ones that, you know, was always dependent on, you know, okay, this station dropped two shippers. Okay, well, let's call Whitaker. She's going to have shippers for us. You know, oh, we are missing mission by three contracts. Let's call Kennewick. You know, Whitaker is going to be able to fix that for us. And so what ended up happening is I, I went and had a couple appointments with doctors and I realized that like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I, I physically, my body's broken. So put in that early retirement and it was approved and I had to talk to the command and everything. And that was like pretty devastating. I think all, all around because heart and mind, again, all about it. My Marines, you know, my career, everything was on point. I would have been a gunny that summer. Everything was great. But then I was like, I, I physically can't do it. I know that my body's broken and it's not going to be able to continue on. Um, got approved, retired July 31st, 2015. So I was just at 16 years. And uh, I started working at this restaurant, which was just a mess, like two days later. And uh, yeah, I've been working ever since. I started working. It was really seamless, actually. I think a lot of Marines are like worried or like even veterans are worried about when they get out about retirement, about like VA pay, like, you know, health insurance, all these things, um, using the Montgomery GI Bill or the post 9-11 GI Bill. It really kind of worked out for me. But I think that is due just because of the type of person I am. Mm-hmm. I always worry that something's going to fall through. So I just do everything I possibly can to like have all the answers. Tommy, you seem to have survived like the Marine Corps fairly healthy. Is that a fair statement? Like you, you don't like Billy and I are always bitching about all the fucking stupid shit we have. Right. Like, right, like I said, I, I hope I'm never as old as you two and you know, and I'm oh, five, six years older and you guys, yeah, but no, yeah. I, and again, I mean, I, I just did four years though and chilled in Okinawa the whole time. Um, yeah, I mean, you though, man, like Melissa, like my body gave up long before the other stuff did. My body was done. Like, oh, I yeah. up, so I wound up taking a burp at 12 years. I just didn't have it anymore. I, I was struggling to make weight all the time. Like I just, everything quit yeah. like, my whole, uh, my, my body just was shutting down. Like, um, and that's why I didn't become a civilian law enforcement officer. Just to be honest, like I was scared physically. I wouldn't be able to kick in. Sure. You know? Um, but like, yeah, Tommy, Tommy, you seem to, it's crazy what it does to people, you know, like how, what, how different it is. Like, I remember, oh, yeah. um, do you remember the old like taps and tams classes and shit they used to do like on Oki mm-hmm. and there were all these old fucking dudes would be like crawling out of there, like all <laughs> jacked up and you're like, holy shit. Like what happened to this cat? Yeah. And like, man, I, I was only like halfway there and like, I'm, you know, I feel, I feel it. Like, yeah, I don't think people realize like the toll on your body that, you know, even, even when you're, and I'm not just talking about, um, obviously like if you have combat deployments and shit, like that's going to fuck your body up. I, I obviously that's right. obvious, but the day, the day to day grind, people don't get like what it does. No. I mean, it, yeah, just like the level of our stress level, our operating stress level is so much higher than like a civilian counterpart. Yeah. It, it's just, it was just unreal. I mean, I, like once I finally was finished with recruiting, it's like, Oh, I, I realized I was operating here and that was my normal and then I would go to here now I'm like down here and I'm like if I'm stressed out at work now and it's like it's fine you know right well there's always tomorrow and it's just <laughs> my, yeah my body like just straight up broke it's, it sounds like so I was I lost recruiting school in 2012 so I went there and they they, they canned me for tattoos my, uh, career, my career planner didn't screen me properly mm-hmm. and then they canned me it's pretty unfortunate. So I, uh, so that's when my mind followed suit with my body at that right. point. I was like, fuck man. Like, you know, I mean, really guys, like I was just, I, so I went from Iraq to becoming an instructor. So it was almost no, no transition there. I went balls to the wall mm-hmm. for like four or five years. 
and was going to go on recruiting just to start doing it again. Like everybody knows how hard recruiting is and yeah. that just fucking canned me, man. I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty hurt about that. Just let's just say. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how, how that screening process for recruiting works, because I feel like there's a lot that a lot of Marines that aren't properly screened. I mean, if you go through a screening process, you think that that should just be able to like hit it, you know? And then if you go up to the upper echelon, they should be able to catch something that down here did it. And then when you go to recruiting school, then there's a whole other screening process. And then there's one guy sits in a room and is like, tell me about your tattoo. And you're like, well, it's da, 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 da. And you're like, okay. And then, and then you don't know. I mean, I saw a lot of Marines actually lost that from recruiting school. Yeah. So mine would have been fine. My career planner just didn't submit the proper waiver before I got there. I mean, mm. come on, man. You know what I mean? Like it's just that yeah. on SDAs, when you're talking SDA, it's that one little, one little glitch in paperwork. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm confident that a lot of Marines based on my experience, like probably were helped. And that sounds like what happened good for them, but it's like, I'm the one that, you know, fuck man. Like I'm the yeah. one that fuck, but so you, you said you went to college too. Is that correct? Like when you got out? Yeah. So it, I don't know. Like, I think that there's a lot of little things that like were like destiny or like signs that this was supposed to be my route because it, it shouldn't have happened so easily for me. I don't know if it's easily or just like seamless. Like it was like, okay, what do I do? And it was like, Oh, big flashing sign. This is what you should do. And like, that makes sense. And so then I go into it. Um, so here, uh, Washington state university there, they have like five satellite campuses all throughout Washington state. There are two big colleges are UW, University of Washington, and Washington State. So UW is the one that's purple, Huskies. And then Washington State is Cougars, and it's a big drinking school in Pullman. (laughs) I didn't go there. I stayed right here in Tri-Cities. I didn't – we didn't move. uh, It was recruiting – I just basically retired from recruiting school – or not recruiting school, but recruiting. And then I just went two months later and started my first semester as a 35-year-old you know, retired Marine as a staff sergeant who had all the answers and knew all the things. And then here I was going, why is this happening? Why does everyone have a computer? What is citations? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. I had no clue. Oh man, it was crazy. Um, you, you went like in person to like the brick and mortar school, right? Not online yeah, or anything. I, I, there's no way I would have been able to do online. Really? Yeah. I, so I'm, I am so opposite. Like I could not, I could have never, I, I, I would have went to jail. I think like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if I could function in a setting like that. Like, yeah. um, maybe while I was on active duty, if I could have taken like a night class or something, if I even had time, mm-hmm. maybe, um, I guess, I mean, I did one in class. It was speech, but total opposite. Like I'm like, Nope, yeah. let me read, let me write. And that's it. See, I'm the type of person that's like practical application. Like I need to see the professor talking and then their mannerisms or their little story of how to remember something is like then embedded in my head. And then I'm like, okay, I remember that, you know, or like when I was in organic chemistry, my organic chemistry professor, he always had these little sayings or like, you know, almost like ditties. And so I think that helped me when I had professors that have like this way of like, like, you know, remembering things mm-hmm. or like a certain way that they showed something and I would be able to write that down before a test happened. Like I need that practical inter or that in-person interaction mm-hmm. just on a computer. I think it was too difficult for me. There was a couple classes I had to take like that, like soils, um, 201 and soils class was just like really hard again because soil is out there, yeah. you know, and you want me to learn about it here what and the- it's tangible. What did you get your degree in then? Um, so my degree uh, is a uh, so it's a bachelor's in science in integrated plant sciences with a focus in viticulture and enology. 
So heavy horticulture, heavy science, lots of chemistry. Gesundheit. Yeah. So the viticulture part is grape growing and the enology part is winemaking. It's basically fermentation sciences. So yeah. Tommy, a little wine and cheese. Here we go. That's what I'm talking about. So I did not expect to find out that you're a fucking plant scientist. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've always find it so crazy. Like what, um, people wind up like falling in love with and what they want to learn about and what they do, you know, like it's, it's just fascinating. Like when you have an opportunity to go to school, like, and, 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 they, and you do something like that, like what led yeah. you? Oh my gosh. Again, this goes back to those like little signs, those little things that kind of happen. We're like, Oh, Oh, okay. So back in 2011, I was at staff Academy and my husband to take me out to celebrate for finishing and graduating staff Academy. We went to some really fancy restaurant in San Diego and there was a sommelier there and, uh, you know, ever since I was really young, one of my best friends, well, when we were 21 anyway, but where's my best friends, she always, her mom always had a bunch of wine and then she always started drinking wine and she'd always talk about how I had a really nice glass of wine. It was really good. And I was like, well, wine's gross. Cause you remember like Marine Corps balls and everything being young Marines, you just get that crap just shoved in your like, yeah, toast. And you taste it. And you're like, Whoa, right. wine to me was disgusting. And so that sommelier in 2011 really kind of opened my eyes. I said, I'm interested in wine, but I think wine tastes like crap. I don't, I don't know. Like anything I get, maybe it's just like that two buck chuck. I don't know. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And so he actually kind of took the time, probably like a good hour, you know, while we were there and would bring me out tastes of different wines. He's like, try this one. And, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, I like that one. Or like, no, I don't like that one. So he kind of like put me into a palate preference and he goes, so now when you go to like Total Wines, try this, you know, and he would write down regions and he would write down grapes for me to try. And I just got so interested in it because you can have a grape from, you know, from South America and have the same grape from Bordeaux and from France, right? And they're in wine. They're now wine, right? And then it's both Cabernet Sauvignon or both Malbec or something. And they're so substantially different in loud ways, but also really subtle ways. And I thought that was really crazy to me because you think as a cup as a cup as a cup, but a grape can be like cared for and fermented in such different, you know, stylistic ways that it was just fascinating to me. So it was like an art and a science, like kind of put into one. So I got a book again, we're still back in 2011 and I just started reading about grapes and it was just like a, it's Frank Oz. Uh, he is a really big wine drinker and connoisseur of wine. He's done a couple of documentaries. And so, um, yeah, it was really cool. With the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Top Gear or the Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. James May uh, did a couple of different road trips with Frank Oz down in Sonoma, one in Bordeaux. And they're just really fun. I watched those and I kind of learned a little bit more. Um, so then I was like, okay, well, I'm a wine drinker now. So I would taste a couple of wines. I did a wine tasting in Temecula back in 2012. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, it's interesting. It was very, very pretentious. And really just made you feel stupid when you walk in there. And especially because, you know, the wine industry as a whole is very pretentious. You know, you like, you have a glass and it's like, oh, you're going to taste, mm-hmm. you know, tobacco and leather and cherry on your mid palate. And then it's going to wash back <laughs> to your back palate and it's going to do all this stuff. And nope, me, just trying to get a buzz. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was like, it does not, I'm, and I always felt, felt stupid. I was like, I don't taste cherry. I don't taste chocolate or, you know, any of these things. And so then that just kind of led me to see more different areas of like, okay, well, I don't taste that. I'm not going to be upset if I don't taste it. I know that's not in the wine. That's their notes. So I just kind of kept progressing. 
then I went on recruiting duty and this part of Washington is wine country. There's in Washington state, we're the second largest, you know, producer of wine, grapes next to California. California's in the billions. We're in the multi-millions. So that's good. Um, So it's a big industry here. It's a huge draw. It's, you know, it's pretty big. So, um, yeah, I kind of started testing out some wines here in Washington state and what ended up happening is when I was looking at like, okay, I physically can't continue on in the Marine Corps. What am I going to do? I have no idea. I knew based off being in Camp Pendleton PMO that I did not want to be a civilian cop because that was miserable. I didn't want to deal with unions. I didn't want to deal with civilians. It's such a thankless job. I just can't do it. I, it was too difficult for me. Um, I looked at Washington State University and they had that viticulture knowledge program. I was like, wow, I feel like this is just meant to be. And then I drove out to the campus and they built like a $50 million research facility that is the Washington State Wine Science Center. And I was like, oh my God, this is like so meant <laughs> to be. Here's, here's your sign. <laughs> yes. It was just like all blinking. Tommy, are you taking notes, man? Because I know you do. Right, right. <laughs> You dabble in the wine and shit, man. I well, like I said, I'm 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 a much bigger fan of the the finished product. I don't need to know how yeah. it how it got there. But yeah. sorry, I don't. And, well, that's a, that's a, I never I never drank wine until I met my wife, mm-hmm. and when like when when she and I first started dating, I would just drink Moscato or like the really sweet like dessert wines and that's stuff. The gateway, and yeah. right, and and everyone would make fun of me because we'd be like at family functions. And it'd be me and her grandma. We're like the only two people drinking Moscato. <laughs> like her dad's like, hey, I got Moscato for you and grandma. And I'm like, thanks. But yeah, and then, but I was like, if it tastes good, it tastes good. And I say that all the time on these episodes. I don't care. I'll drink a freaking, you know, White Claw or Lynchburg lemonade or freaking mm-hmm. Bartles and James strawberry daiquiri. If it's good, whatever, I'm drinking it. But right. yeah, but now like Cabernet is uh, me and my wife's. That was always my wife's favorite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's my favorite now. I just but find it fascinating. I've expanded my your palate. Well, yeah, yeah, I just find it fascinating. Like I remember back, like to times like I would see you guys work traffic accidents, and then yeah. like de- a decade removed now, and you're talking about the refined part of wines. I mean, yeah. who, who the fuck well, ever saw that coming? You know what I mean? I all, Again, there's 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 nothing refined about me and Tracy's no, freaking wine and cheese nights, but. <laughs> To me, that's why I love doing this shit. It's like it's it's so crazy to find out wh- where everyone wound up and what people are oh, doing. Yeah. Like what? Um, none of us ever sat outside a PMO fucking talking about wine. You know? No, what I mean? we that, did not. No, no. shit never happened. <laughs> so, I don't think that ever left my mouth. Wine. Yeah, and then no. like I, just even in my experience, like when I when I like started transitioning out and started getting interested in a lot of other shit, like um, I used to think was like the dumbest th- the dumbest thing, like. Uh, and I'd be like, this is so stupid. Why do people do this? And then I, now I'm like in love with it. I mean, an example, yeah. you, um, I don't know if you guys know Chris McCandless. Have you ever heard of him? It's the, into the wild. He's a kid who mm-hmm. died. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like I thought that was the fucking dumbest thing that anyone would ever do. And then now I'm fascinated by him. Cause it's like, actually he just wanted to be free. You know what I mean? It's just right. crazy. Like where, where people transition and like what they want. Oh, to for sure. Insane. Yeah. Never. And, and I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, the, the degree program, like the vet center there at WSU Tri-Cities, what's interesting is that the majority of the people that are in the wine science program or in the viticulture, the V&E program is what we call it, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them are non-traditional students. And so you get a good percentage of veterans in there. Um, I think my class, there was myself, 
there is five veterans. So it's a pretty interesting thing how there's like so many of us that kind of, and there's Marines, like there was a Marine in there. Um, he was a grunt for four years from like 2011 to, you know, 2006, got out and moved. He was originally somewhere from the East coast, I think New Jersey, but he randomly moved here just because of the wine science program. It's, yeah, it's like what, like this dude's like shoot, move and communicate wine. <laughs> like, <really? laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it fascinates me what, what people, and, and then like, well, and w- it got canceled this year because of the freaking Wuhan. But every year we go to a, there's a wine festival deal here in Dayton. That's pretty pricey and ritzy. And we get the hookup through uh, Tracy's dad's company. But, but yeah, I, I walk around there feeling like, you know, freaking a hill jack. You know, some of the people, Ooh, yeah, and I'm like, nah, just free samples. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, you know walk around in my Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm a whiskey guy. Whiskey, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. There's, I'm sure there's like really refined. Like I, I watched this documentary like over in UK and stuff when they do their scotches and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's really refined and like pretentious people, but um, not at the Jack Daniels Distillery. I promise you that. We're just trying to have some good whiskey. But, y'all, y'all ain't even got to wear shoes there. <laughs> so they, they do some, you know, with Park City nearby, they do a lot of that stuff here. Like wine is a big deal. There's a, a town. Um, when you get up into the mountains, into the hills, I don't know if they're growing stuff up there, but um, it's called like Camus, Utah. There's a huge wine festival up there. I don't know if it's like a, 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 par, a byproduct of wealth or, or what, but a lot of people come in for that. Yeah, there's quite a, um, well, not quite a few. I see there's like a handful in Utah, because I have a friend, she did an internship there at one of the um, vineyards and wineries, yeah. but the laws are a little bit different and they don't have an established, like Washington has a Washington state wine commission. Yeah. And we also have the Washington state wine growers association. So we have established entities for the past like 40 years that help like, and they're all about the laws and like, you know, regulating certain things, you know, you can only have, if you want to have like a single varietal on a bottle has to be so much percentage wise. And so they help establish laws and regulations, but nothing like old world wine, you know, where if like you're in Bordeaux, you can't just throw in like a Rhone varietal, which is like Syrah or like something else, right? You can't just start growing. You can't do what you want in Bordeaux. Whereas like a new world wine, it's interesting because you can just, you, you really don't have, um, like regulations and what you plant, like how you irrigate, what you do, anything to those crops. Whereas, yeah, old world is really, really tied to that history, that romantic, you know, notion of a vintage, you know, we're here in the States, you know, or like even other, you know, new world. When we say vintage, you know, we're talking about a year and the only detrimental thing to that is like weather, but we do are able to like, you know, turn that knob in order to irrigate and to make it a little bit more, you know, manageable. It's not so much a variable at this point. We can really kind of fine tune it. Wow. Are you, so are you in the wine industry then? Is that what you actually, like, what are you actually doing? Yeah. So I am in the wine industry. So when I retired, I, so like I said, I worked at this restaurant for a couple of days. It was like two months, um, but it was way too stressful. I was like, man, I did recruiting, but I can't take this. People are way too emotional about their food. I mean, I was called <laughs> all kinds of names. And I was like, I didn't cook your food. I took your order and I brought you this. Yeah. Well, crazy. emotional about their food and just people are stupid in general. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it got to the point where I was stressed out to go to work and like, like really kind of getting shaky and everything. I was like, no, nope, this isn't for me. Yeah. You don't so, need that shit. Uh-uh. Um, especially after a 16 year career in the Marine Corps. I was like, I ain't nobody got to that. 
Um, what ended up happening is this restaurant that I worked at, they had done a couple of different little pop-up like tents at the wineries. Cause th- again, this is wine country where I live. And one of the wineries was called Kayona. And so I went there and both my husband loved it. It's so pretty. It's got a gorgeous view and it was just so comfortable. Like you walk in and you just like, you felt at home. Like you just felt people were going to talk to you. It wasn't like any pretentious, like tasty notes, like you're going to have this and you know, the whole spiel of like, you know, citrus and bright pear and blah, 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 all these things. It was just like, do you like it? We grow grapes and we make wine. (laughs) This is it, you know? And it was just really nice. And so I was so in love with the place and the people and how comfortable it was because you didn't feel stupid when you walked in there. You didn't feel out of place. You didn't feel like this is going to be really uncomfortable and they're just going to try to punk you. Um, It was just really nice. And so I emailed them in June of 2015. I said, would it be possible to have my retirement ceremony there? I, you know, I don't need to use the indoor anything like just like kind of that outdoor patio that overlooks the vineyard, would that be possible? And so the owner, you know, the um, manager, he emailed me back. He's like, yeah, we can do that. You know, don't worry about a fee, you know, just thanks for your service. I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I go, I promise we'll buy lots of bottles of wine. And I think (laughs) I had about like 30 people at my retirement. It was pretty low key since I was just a staff sergeant, you know, didn't have a whole command come out. No Marines stood in any formation. It was just me standing in formation and it was 115 out degrees it was um and so that that was in july that's just icing on the cake to a marine corps career (laughs) yeah right and then in the you know pet little leather because you know we're in our you know dress uniforms and my poor little feet with oh god they're cooked um yeah so what ended up happening is like that was july the end of july um i worked at that restaurant september october told them i'm like i can't do this this is a little bit too stressful with being a first-time student i didn't go to college really after i graduated high school i did one semester at community college and i was like this is miserable i'm out yeah. um joining the marine corps and uh so yeah so it was a little bit difficult and I went and did a tasting with friends at that same winery at Kiona and I was explaining, I even took my Marines there cause I loved it so much. Like one of my last team building for my team at the recruiting station was going wine tasting to kind of show these Marines that it's not so like intimidating. Yeah. They loved it. They bought a bunch of wine. And, um, in November when I went and did the tasting with friends from school there, the lady that was behind the counter, she goes, you, know, you should just get a job here. You know, you like it so much, you know, it's cheaper that way. And I was like, you're, you're here every day. You might as well get know, paid right? for it. And I was like, Oh, but I don't know anything about wine. I'm just starting. And she's like, no, you don't have to. You're just pouring wine in the glass and you're talking to people and tell them about us. You know, I was like, oh, all right. So yeah, first day was December 18th, 2015. And I've worked there since I worked in the tasting room. For about two and a half years, uh, my first harvest, where I was actually like a harvest intern for school, was in 2018, and that was in August of 2018. And since then, I've been in production since. So my day-to-day is like get there, analysis on wine, um, checking different like levels of certain like metrics, uh, gassing tanks, you know, racking barrels, topping barrels, a um, lot of cleaning because a lot of it has to do with sanitation. <laughs> Um, that's enough. And yeah, I love that. It's pretty crazy. I mean, um, once I graduated school, they offered me a full-time salary position in production. So I am the enologist. And also I would say I'm more assistant to the winemaker, not an assistant winemaker. Yeah. Assistant um, to the yeah. winemaker. <laughs> um, we do preference trials, you know, so like if you're trying to figure out what your, you know, 2017 Cabernet is going to be, you know, you do preference trials because, 
grapes are great, but everything's a blend, you know, as no matter what anyone tells you, everything is a blend. So yeah, preference trials, bottling, helping with bottling, ordering of chemicals, uh, safety of, you know, employees, things like that. Moving hoses and uh, like uh, pumps. Yeah. I tell my wife all the time, like whenever I'm done in Utah, I want to move to Lynchburg because it's like a tiny little town. Everyone knows each other. Everybody loves each other. And mm-hmm. I want to work at the Jack Daniels Distillery because it's like, yeah, I'm just my heart's just happy when I'm there. I've yeah, been, I've been there like four it. times, and it's like it's fascinating because like people don't understand like, and I'm sure wine is probably some some sim, similar like the water right down to the water. It absolutely matters, and like yes. if anything that changes it won't taste the same. Like mm-hmm. that's why, that's why like, um, Jack Daniels distillery, they don't farm out any of their production at all. Like they can't because it, they can't, it won't be the same. So everything right. is made there. Where some of your other, you know, if you go over to Europe, like your scotches, they'll bring them in from all over Ireland. It's not just, or, or Scotland. It's not just one place, you know? Right. Um, you know, the science of it all is insane. And then down to the barrels, you said you work barrels. with barrels. Like I know there's a lot of wine, a wine, wine folks that wine. use, jack daniels barrels after the fact and they do like mm-hmm. ask mates and all this different stuff like yeah it's crazy I, I love learning about it when when people get me on uh like a run i'll start just talking about all kinds of whiskeys i'm sure you could do that with wine. <laughs> oh yeah yeah well, i mean just like fermentation science you know in general is like fascinating um adam krola did a podcast where he was at the bullet um distillery and yeah. they were talking with one of their master distilleries her name's ebony major and so I was like, wow, she's a female. Oh, I got to look her up. And so I found her on Instagram. And I sent her a message. I was like, wow, that was really cool listening to your story, you know, on the Adam Krola podcast. That was a great interview. It was really nice to hear another female, you know, fermentation scientist, you know, like there, there's not a lot of us, you know, yeah. and in the wine industry, it's like maybe 10%, you know, that's one fault I think I do is that I find these places that are like really dominated by males, but yeah. I got a big voice. So I guess it doesn't matter. Same with, same with, like, no, not you. <laughs> same with the though. like there's, there's one, uh, yeah. one or two female master, uh, master. They're called, I think they're called master blenders in, mm-hmm. in the scotch industry. And then, um, I don't, I'd be unheard of, I think at least in Tennessee, if there, there's never been a female master distiller there, there are a lot of, um, incredible women that work at the distillery, um, in, in all at every level, but the, the master distiller achievement seems to be very difficult for women in that industry to achieve. I'm a little surprised to hear that wine is the same way, but, um, yeah. yeah, it's weird where, um, people are shut out like that. I didn't know bullet. I've, I've seen bullet whiskey. I don't know much about it. I'm, I, honestly, I don't know about whiskey. I know about Jack Daniels. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting though. I don't know. I mean, man, like, what is your say your actual title again? What are you? I'm the enologist. Enologist. Yeah. Of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, the place that I work is pretty cool because it's all family owned and operated. It's yeah. not under a big corporate you know umbrella. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the better things that have happened to me because I am not in that big corporate environment. Right. And I, you know, it's like family owned and operated. The person that started. You're a person, not a number. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's nice because, you know, like my husband, a couple of years ago, he had went into the hospital. He had had a triple aortic dissection. So triple A. So from like the valve at the top of his heart down to his groin, his aorta split. Holy and shit. it ruptured at his heart. And so I didn't work for like two months. Um, 
and like they helped me out you know they were like nope take care of your husband you know it's fine and and so i mean the little things like that really kind of pay off like you know the owners they bought a bunch of groceries from costco the night we were in the hospital the first night um they stocked our fridge you know they uh and so i don't know it's like it's way more like it just feels still kind of like that. Like even though the Marine Corps is really big, it just feels like a tight bond, you know, like you're only as successful as your team. Yeah. You have a good team and it's tight, you know? And so that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah. It, and they're really well known within the industry. And I didn't realize that walking into the door in the tasting room, you know, the only reason why I'm where I am, I think is based off what I learned in the Marine Corps, maybe a little bit from before I went in the Marine Corps, but having that like confidence or showing that work ethic because I started in the taste room, you know, four months later I had a key to the winery, you know, like eight months later I was helping with local sales and I was doing the training for all the tasting room employees, you know, and then when I asked about doing an internship, cause I really, you know, I wanted to be in production and yeah. I didn't want to, you know, be the person that's talking in sales. You know, I, I sold the Marine Corps for six years. I'm, I'm out, you know, I don't want to do these sales are a little bit easier, but you know, still, um, and, and they were, they were great. You know, they're like, yeah, and it just, it worked out so perfectly because the person that did have my position, you know, he left like a year before and you know, the person that started it, he's now retired, but the, his son is, you know, one of my bosses and he's the vineyard manager, um, the owner. And then he was also the winemaker. And then his son just got his master's at the same school I went to at WSU. And so now he's the winemaker has been there for a year and I'm basically like assistant to him and, uh, and the analogist. So, so it's pretty cool. I mean, I, it just fell perfectly again in place where it just, it just worked out. Are we ever going to see a signature Melissa Whitaker, like vintage yeah. 2020 or what? Like, yeah. So actually, <laughs> um, my last semester at school, which was last, uh, last fall, I finished in, in December. Um, I made a wine with, in conjunction with my winery. So they donated the grapes, the school donated barrels. Um, and then we did a project where basically we're looking at extraction methods because like the easy way wine happens is you take the grapes, you, so let's just make sure we're talking about the same thing. So if it's red grapes, you ferment on the skins because that's where you get color. The colors in the vacuole of the cell. I don't know if you remember when you're talking about like animal cells and plant cells, so in the plant cell, in the vacuole, that's where the color is, right? right? And so you put that in, and then you basically, that's where the fermentation happens. And the extraction happens with, like, pump overs. You put a big, you know, pump down on the bottom. You pump that juice that's turning into wine on top. You wet the cap, which is all the skins that just kind of bubble to the top, or they just hang out on the top. Or you do a pump down, or a punch down. It's really aggressive. So, like, the common, you know, idea of wine is that, you know, punch downs are more gentler. If you've ever seen a winery, it's not gentle. You're just going through the motions because it's harvest and it's busy and it's crazy. You're trying to get through your day. You're processing fruit. You've got to go check tanks. You've got to go put this over here. you got to do bricks and But don't, don't you have like just groups of people that are like stepping on it and stuff, right? Isn't no, that it doesn't made? happen. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's the alcoholic fermentation. And then once it's done from that point, then you press it. And then that's where you get the color. Whereas white grapes, you do the opposite. You press it right away because you don't ferment with the skins. You just ferment the juice. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so it goes through. So I, I don't know where I was starting with that one, but, oh, that's where my project was. And so I looked at different extraction methods, um, a pump over and then a punch down because there's bitter notes. Like sometimes you can get like a, 
a bitterness when you're drinking wine. Yeah. So those bitter notes come from some skins. There's some uh, bitter notes in there and then also from the seeds. So if you're punching down, you're hitting and uh, breaking more of those seeds. And so that's where you're getting bitter notes. And so I wanted to see if that actually, if you have a smoother wine, it would just like pump over. So it's going to be released with school. So that will be um, like a, a wine probably released next year. That's, I, I mean, I love it when I ask a question and like, I just expect, no, no. <laughs> and it's like, but actually like, it turns out there's a Melissa. As a matter of fact, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. I'll have my own bottle of wine here shortly. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's cool is like the first thing that I did the fermentation or I did all the analysis. I did the fermentation. Granted, my boss told me what to do, yeah. but I did everything all by myself. That wine is out there and you guys can probably find it at stores. So we're in 44 different states, 42 or 44 different states. Holy Things kind of changed the past couple of months. That's a lot though. Yeah. Pretty good. I mean, for a family owned winery, that sounds like it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. The first grapes were planted in 1975. They are, they're, they're so well respected within the community because we're not just a winery first, we're a vineyard first. So it's Cayona yeah. Vineyards and Winery. We sell to 60 different places. So we, we farm about 270 acres in our little AVA, American Viticulture area. And then, um, but we sell a lot of grapes. We've got like 60 plus different clients. What's the signature wine? Um, Cab is definitely king out in Red Mountain. It's the hottest growing region for Washington State. So Red Mountain is definitely known for their Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't, uh, I'll, I'll find some, my, my wife's a wine drinker. And like Tommy said, she's a, um, she's more on the gateway of the Moscato. She likes this ah. stuff, but, um, but again, like when she has friends explain to her, like, I think it's a, it's a knowledge thing. Like you have to be educated on it. Yeah. And, and it, it doesn't just happen right away. Like, you know, your palate builds, like someone that you cannot like a red wine now, but four months from now, as they're starting to like, you know, drink wine, it, it grows. Like I started with Pacific Rim um, Rieslings, sweet Rieslings, and then just kind of developed from there. Um, Pinot Noir is kind of like the gateway red to get you into red wines. Tommy, what are you, what are you into? What's your favorite? Well, and that's, like I said, it, it, and that's how it happened with me. It was, you know, it just progressed on. I was like, all right, well, especially the going to the the wine festivals that we do, I would, you know, because you just get the little, you know, taste yeah. of, you know, whatever. But, but that that's how you learn about, you know, what you like and all mm -hmm. that stuff. You got to try it. And, but yeah, and it was, it would progressively get less sweet and more dry or, you yeah. know, whatever. But yeah, like I said, more times than not, uh, it's Cabernet or uh, Pinot Grigio. I think we have some right now. Um, but those usually are two go tos. Um, mm -hmm. The last couple Christmases or whatever, I know Tracy's gotten Moscato like from coworkers or whatever, and that just goes straight to me. But if it's if it's me and her sitting down together, it's it's usually a cab or Pinot Grigio. See, my thing is like my wife drinks wine, I drink whiskey, and we don't cross we don't cross those paths, right? So like, <laughs> yeah. She's got hers, I got mine. It's all good. We don't step on each other's toes in that regard. Um, yeah, and again, it's like it's crazy. It's an education thing, though. We have a friend. Uh, she her dad was in the air force they spent a lot of time in italy so she's like pretty versed in italian wines like just because mm -hmm. they, they, that's what a mo i guess a mom and daughter would do in italy is like go taste all this shit you know it's like oh for sure it's fat i mean it's just it's insane like how, how like you said how it matters like where it comes from who made it what grape goes you know mm -hmm. i don't think people appreciate that when they when, when you're holding um a bottle of whatever wine or spirit like the 
the work that actually goes, you know, goes into that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Can you, can you, you know how there's like home brews, there's like little home breweries. You could do a beer at home. Can you do, is there a, a way to, is there like a kit to do a wine? Is that possible? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I mean, I, we have friends, you know, some people that work in the tasting room, like, so a lot of people that work in our tasting room, they, um, they have other jobs mm-hmm. Monday through Friday and it's like their fun job on the weekend, you know? And so they work out at, um, PNL, so the Pacific Northwest Lab out here, um, and they have a small fermentation kit that they kind of make their own wine. They will make about maybe thirty cases. That's a small batch. Yeah, I mean, because like in a barrel, um, in a regular like two hundred and twenty-five liter barrel, which is pretty average size. Like if you're going to a place, I mean, you might have some larger formats, like a you know two forty or two sixty-five. Mm-hmm places like if there's like a home wine kind of situation you're going to get a 225 liter and there's about 22 to 25 cases in a barrel that's a lot fair enough (laughs) you get um you get about two two i associate everything with whiskey so you get about 250 bottles out of a barrel right not cases That's a lot, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much wine is in a bottle as opposed to uh, how much. Seven hundred fifty mils. Oh, so, damn then. Yeah, so it's just yeah, because you're like what you're talking about with the bottles. It should be a liter, and then so yeah, you're just under that. Maybe I'm wrong. Then maybe it is cases. I don't know because uh, whiskey barrels are a pretty good size. I don't know what the actual size of it is. But I could be wrong. They might be larger because most places where I've seen like whiskey barrels, they're they're larger format, so maybe they're way larger than. And it just depends, like, you know, what the standard size that we have in our, our cellar is 225. We try to keep them up to 265. So it just depends. Like some people are going to have like huge, huge, you know, barrels, or they're going to have concrete eggs, or they're going to have um, the big, huge concrete, like squares that they're keeping their wine in, or like huge stainless steel tanks. So we have tanks, we have about 40 tanks and we've got about 1300 barrels right now. Wow. So wine is it for you then? That's what you're going to say? Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, It's nice. Like it's, it it is a very artistic, but also very scientific thing. Um, You, I listened to the episode where you guys are talking about AIS school. That math was hard for me. I don't do math. I don't do math either. That was such a struggle for me. Um, But then when I had to go back to school, man, I had to really pay attention. I had to go right into math 101. Um, get the bare basics again. I was 35. I hadn't been in school for like, you know, like 16 years. That was a mess. And so then when going into like, you know, Chem 101, Chem 102, O-Chem, Wine Chem, Wine Microbio, that was difficult. Yeah. But it, it really had a practice. I don't do math. I was, I was always afraid of AIS. Like I thought the traffic accident stuff was fascinating, but I don't do math. Yeah. I actually corrected my wife. Yeah, I, like I said, uh, honestly, I I don't I don't do math either. Like I said, I, AIS. I don't know. I didn't think it was because they gave you everything, but I was pretty intoxicated the whole time there anyway. But <laughs> freaking river walk kicked my ass every night. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I'm pretty happy. I could I could die happy, man. I was able to correct my wife on a math equation the other day, so I feel like it's, I feel like it's in there. But she definitely helped me get through uh, my like entry level. Uh, I was fortunate. I was able to dodge that bullet through online school. I, could, I just only had to do some very basic math. Uh, 
because um, that is not my strong suit, you know. I used to have dreams of like being a friggin' doctor and shit, and then I got into chemistry and math, and I was like, nope. <laughs> oh gosh, I get PFC instead. Yeah, I didn't take OCHEM twice. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. Like I just um, like when they started adding shapes and shit into it, I was like, nope. Yeah, me. I don't get it. Shapes and letters. I was like, this doesn't doesn't go with numbers. I don't get it. You know. That's, or when you just set up well, little houses, you're doing conversions over. You know, you're taking it from pounds, and then you're going to put it into milliliters per liter. You know, that's that part. You know, and, and we're just so messed up. If we just do the metric system, yeah. it's always just you know, move the decimal. You know, it'd be so great. We are pretty as as Americans, we're pretty stupid in the way we do things. Like <laughs> we're the only country that has like the the measurements and shit that we use. I think. Yeah. Well, the UK, but it's our way. But it's our way. That's all that matters. It is our way. But I know England. England does some weird shit too. Yeah, they have like you know that's where you get your BTUs, your British thermal units. Yeah, and they do like stone for weight, and then they do. I think they use mile per hour. I mean, they use a bunch of crazy shit. Like, you know, everybody's got to be fucking different. Like, mm-hmm. America's the only one that doesn't actually use military time too. That's something I've yeah. heard. Most everybody else is on on military time as well. Yeah. Yep. That seems like a crazy industry to be in, though. I've like doing the wine thing, I, I, or even spirits in general. Like, I just I, I feel like it'd be fun. I feel like I could I could get busy in something like that. Maybe yeah, a lot of people assume that I drink a lot of wine, but it's more or less uh, I taste a lot of wine because you know at work, you know, we, I might go through two or three different preference trials. You know, so each preference trial might have three different wines, and I'm picking which one is my preference and writing my notes on it, but you're tasting and then you're spitting. And so I typically won't like, and my husband doesn't really like wine. So we, I I don't typically have wine open at home. It might be just like some tequila or I'll have, you know, I don't know, something different. It's not, it's not usually. You're not not rolling around the winery just soft all day then, huh? Uh -uh, No. Yeah. I mean, my teeth are purple, but no. I know novice, novice wine drinkers that go to tastings wind up getting pretty schnockered though, from what I remember. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the worst part is it so like we do events too. Well, most events this like little here have been canceled, but, um, when you go through a tasting, you shouldn't do more than like three wineries a day because much like all other muscles, your palate is a muscle, your tongue's a muscle and all those taste buds, they get stressed out and tired. So you're no longer tasting anything. You're just, it's just astringent. You're just getting the alcohol. You might get this because alcohol has that sweetness to it. You know, that's why most alcoholics have a problem or they have like, you know, a little bit of weight or whatnot. Um, Cause it's sweet, you know, so that ethanol, it just, it kind of hits you. Yeah. Um, and your, your palate's so tired. You're not going to be able to taste anything at that point. And you're not tasting the nuances, not that necessarily that that's good or bad, but you're, you're not getting that you're just wasting things now. And so a lot of times when people buy a bunch of wine at the third or fourth winery that they go to, when they go home, it's not going to taste the same because now you're not, you know, three sheets to the wind, you're, you're sober and you're like, Oh, I remember this was really good, but you're not remembering necessarily those. And then, it, then it tastes, tastes completely different than what they had the day. So before. different. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that. So it's, it sounds like most people who go to a wine tasting or two completely did it wrong. Like, yeah. Yeah. They just want to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're just handing you samples and it's like, 
mm-hmm. you would think you would think people who are conducting the tastings wouldn't want that either because they, they want their wine to be as memorable as possible and so um, well sure yeah like that's why like our experience like you know we do a one ounce pour in our tasting room and a lot of it is like you know we're talking about you know like oh this is our sangiovese you know so our sangiovese is more traditional kind of chianti style you know it's really light it's a food pairing superstar goes with this it goes with this you know it's it's really great um, and so then people can taste it. And if you do like a one ounce pour, then that's pretty good because per winery, you know, you're looking at like, we do six tastings in our tasting room. So if you have six and you average about like 12 to 14% alcohol in those, then that's a glass, right? So we did our part, but you can go to some places and they're doing like, you know, a flight. So you have three wines and they're three ounce pours, you know, so then you start to kind of tally that up. And that's why people will have that, you know, that oh, I'm allergic to sulfites, you know, or red wine gives me a headache. It's because red wine's like 14% alcohol and <laughs> you drink, you know, five glasses, you know, or you finish the bottle or you drink the equivalent of a bottle. You need to throw in some water there. <laughs> we, we usually kill three bottles on a, on, a, on a good night, no problem. Yeah, but see, there's a difference with tolerance too, because you're not talking about like, you guys drinking, we're talking about like wine tasting, yeah. you know, and right. then people just come in the next time. Cause what usually happens is you get like a group coming like, Oh, I don't like red wine. I only like white wine. Well, how come? Oh, I'm allergic to red wine. Well, you're not allergic to red wine. It's just, it's a hot, higher alcohol. <laughs> yeah. My sister's you're allergic to being drunk. My sister's <laughs> going to enjoy the shit out of this episode. I think she's a, she's a, she's a whiner. She likes, oh, that's awesome. She likes some, she loves her some wine for sure. Yeah. Now, I, I, for me, it, it, and it could just all be in my head, but it seems like red wine will, not always, but it'll kick up my heartburn more than white wine. Yeah, and that could be. Because, that might just be me. Well, it could just be because there's other elements that are playing. So, like, the red is going to have more tannins. So, the tannins are the thing that, like, kind of dry your my- mouth out. Mm. Like, if you eat a really green banana, you know how, like, it dries <sighs> your mouth out? Yeah. Right. That's, those are tannins. And same, so, blueberries have okay. tannins. Yeah, so, yeah, I find that super weird how you could drink a liquid <laughs> and dry your mouth out. Like, oh, like yeah, oh, this tastes so dry. I'm like, uh-huh. it's like, what do you mean? How does that even make mm-hmm. sense? And then you're like, well, that's you know, like, that's the joke too, though, is whenever you wake up after a bender, you're like, why am I so thirsty when I drank so much last night? Yeah, <laughs> like, like hydration gin, station. Gin, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, like gins and all that stuff. Like, it, it's super dry, and you're like, that's oh, a, absolutely, make any sense, but it. It's like, yeah, actually, yeah. like it's, well, it's, it's obviously now I know the chemical makeup. That's crazy. Yeah. And you get other elements too, you know, so there's tannins, but then there's also the tannins that you get from barrels. And so the tannins that come from barrels, they might also have that drying effect, but they also give you that, like an overdone one would be like a woody, like you're chewing on a piece of wood. It's a little bit too drying. Wow. <laughs> what about like when you were in school, were you drinking the whole time? Like, was that encouraged? Like because you were learning wines and stuff or were you or not really like um no not necessarily understand like what it was like to be a veteran after 16 years and then in school you know what i mean oh my gosh yeah well i was definitely like the mama bear for people i was the one can i just ask was it like a liberal thing was it is it like this bastion of liberal like we're gonna force this you know people are like oh these colleges like all they do is teach liberal stuff Safe spaces. Oh, you can't do yeah. that. Yeah. Was it like that at all, or was it like? Yeah, there's a lot of elements of that. Really? So yeah. that that's like a thing then you might find on an actual college campus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, 
Oh, I, I didn't. I was hoping some of that stuff wasn't true, but well, like- you know, it's so. There's only like a few professors that I think that would like kind of push that kind of agenda, you know, because I started in school in 2015. So we were gearing up for the election. So that was a substantial different time. And when I finished, you know, Trump was already president. So it was like very interesting to see how pushed everything was. But I have to say, like, we were on a smaller campus, so we didn't have, like, these big ideologies, like, button can't, you know, button heads and just, like, yeah. you can't do this, you can't do that, you know? Like, you had, like, the vet center, and then there would be veterans wearing things that were completely inappropriate, you know? Like, a combat vet, I kill people, or just, just you know, I'm not saying that's what the t-shirt said, but it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. You're a combat vet. You got yeah. it. Some of, that, some of that shit we do to ourselves, for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I don't think that... And then I think it's fine, but there's some that are just like, you're trying to toe the line and you're trying to be aggressive and make a scene. Mm-hmm. You know, General Mattis walks around Tri-Cities all the time. I see him often and he doesn't have like blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's okay not to be so out about it. Like the same no. thing with like- He's not wearing an affliction shirt or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, so I saw Matt speak recently. He's like the, oh, yeah? the most unassuming pr- people you'll ever meet. Oh, like, totally. Obviously, Marines are going to know who he is, but if you weren't in the Marine Corps, like there's a chance he may roll by you and you wouldn't even know. Like he's oh, like, absolutely. Historic. I'm taller than well, you. You had you had something posted, wasn't he? Like possibly going to be like a speaker at your graduation or something. Yeah, he sent a video out to um, the WSU Tri City graduates, uh, a congratulations, you know, on graduating speech, and so that made me think that I think he was supposed to be our keynote speaker. And I know you've you've posted a picture. You've run into him, like you said, in town and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he came into the recruiting office quite a few times because he retired in March of 2013. And so he was in the office in, like, July of 2013. And that's when I first <laughs> met him. And it was often that he would call or Coming email. in to pick up some new bumper stickers? Yeah. Or he just had, like, old <laughs> uniform items. And he goes, can you guys use these? And I'm that's just awesome. Like, Oh my god! I can't even believe this is happening. I wouldn't have used them. I would have put that away. <laughs> no, they would oh have been god, in my no, yeah, they, I did it. They would have been going home with me. <laughs> oh yeah, all of us Marines. We all took like I have one of his belt buckles. I don't even have to wear a belt awesome. in my deltas. <laughs> right, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. What if like what if like he seems like the like I'm reading his book right now actually. Mm. Like he seems like one of the coolest dudes. Like when I got to hear him speak, and he's not like. You know, I, I mean, through our years, we had what? We had Haggy, Conway, um, Amos. We had, you know, these guys are like, and Dunford, like, these are massive men, right? Yeah. These are like big six-foot-plus men. And, uh, and like, I shook Conway's hand in Iraq, and, like, I felt like a, a midget. Like, I felt tiny. That, he's a huge dude. Mattis is not that, right? He's, wow. like, probably uh, – I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe, like, his physical stature may be one of the reasons he didn't become commandant. Because he wasn't like <laughs> Jarhead enough, you know what I mean. But he was like many of those men. He was their boss, like before yeah. it became uh, significant figures in the Marine Corps. It's crazy, like. But he's just such a good dude, and he's super, super smart. Like, oh, so smart. Just to listen to him talk. I mean, one time he just like popped into the office, you know, and he's giving my Marines career advice. You know, just sitting there like shooting the shit, no big deal. Awesome. Talk, what are you got? What are you doing, Sergeant? You know, what's your plan? Oh, yeah. well, you know, blah 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 blah, and. You know, and he did pay me a really nice compliment. Um, can I cuss? I've been, yeah. Fuck yeah, you Okay, can. I haven't even noticed. That's how, like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, am I? Uh, uh. Um, but he, 
we were in the recruiting office and I said something. He's like, how is recruiting going, Stasser? And I said, oh, it's good, sir. You know, I keep him in shape. And he goes, that's good. And he goes, well, any problems? And I was like, no, I think they are a little scared of me. He goes, yeah, you seem like a bitch. He's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like from Mattis though, that's not yeah. it's not a bad thing. Like that's a, no, like, that's props, man. Yeah, he's like he was legit like that. Like I mean, yeah, I don't agree with everything he said, but like he didn't fucking he didn't beat around the bush as far as like what he thought and shit. You know, no. and it didn't matter who he's ever been talking to. I mean, quite frankly, that's probably why he got in and out of the Trump administration. Like he went in, did what he wanted to do. Uh, you know, basically won the fight with ISIS and then bailed because I don't think. Right. He, you know, he's not a yes man, that's for sure. I don't I don't know that Trump looks for that, but um No, I mean he talked to some of the veterans in the area and, and I and I know a group of them, they all go have, you know, Starbucks every morning down the road from my house. And so when I'll run into them, like when that was kind of happening, that we knew that he was gonna get a position or a nomination, they said, you know, like the you know, one of the guys, he's a Vietnam vet, he was a, a pilot. And he was talking about when he talked to Mattis that they were talking about, well, I'm gonna do it only because only until I have control. But as soon as I don't have that ability where I can see I can make the right choices for the country, then I'm going to leave. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it makes sense. I'd be yeah. interested to see what he says after all this. Like he, he's yeah. very, he's been very adamant. Even when I saw him speak in uh, Utah, he will not talk about uh, sitting president. He just won't do no. it. I think that's what you think is good. I think it's a pretty honor. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. very, that's a very honorable thing of him to do, especially with the rumors that float around. Like, obviously, um, you can't get involved with uh, our current president and not have any people talk. You know, it's going to have people are going to talk about it in one right. way or the other, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. But yeah, Mattis is a uh, that's insane that Mattis is going to probably become one of the most critical, you know, important figures like in our generation in, in history. Mm-hmm. And just have him roll into your recruiting station. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know, like, uh, Two times he surprised me. One time he gave me a heads up, but the two times he surprised me, we were in civvies, you know, it's recruiting duty. So yeah. you're not often in, you know, uniform. <laughs> and so, and he ran, he did recruiting duty twice too. You know, he yeah. was an, um, an, I forget what they're called, like an OSA. And then he was, or an OSO. And then he was um, the XO or the CO. And it was of Portland. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was like, nah, you don't have to tell me, Stasser. I know how it is. Yeah. I was like, all right, that's good, sir. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he's from, well, he's from Washington, isn't he, originally? I think that's Yeah, he's is. from from here in Richland. Wow. Where I'm living, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I actually got him to come talk to my poolies. There was a, a pool function I did for all the kids that were waiting to go to boot camp, and uh, I asked him if he would just kind of speak about the values of the Marine Corps, not just, like, you know, while before you go in, while you're in, but also, like, that makeup after you get out yeah. and how important it is. And so, yeah, he talked to about, I think I had like 25 pulleys at the time at this meeting. I think that's more important. Like post, like what you do as a Marine after the Marine Corps. Oh yeah. I actually think that's even more important, you know, at least to, uh, to look at it. And, um, I, I don't know about you guys. I can't fucking stand when I come across people that are like, yeah, I didn't get shit from the Marine Corps. Like, fuck it. Like, it was Oh like, yeah. I hate that. Well, and that's, that. That's on them if they didn't get nothing from it. You know, that's, it's not. I'd say it's a you issue. That's, that's, yeah, I was going to yeah. say it's a you problem. Well, I mean, and if you just think about it, I mean, there's people that are put into bad circumstances in the Marine Corps all the time. But really that, that old adage of like grow where you're planted, nope. you've got to make the best out of it and like keep your head positive and just know that it's going to be for something. 
Yeah. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't have some rough times or like I didn't start yeah. or I didn't have my, my, you know, times where I was really successful times where I failed, but never would I be like, I got nothing from this. Yeah. Like that's what a just fucking garbage attitude, man. Like, yeah, I see it. On, I see it on Facebook and stuff. I'm like, man, I actually, I really feel terrible for you. If, if that, if that's a pretty, you know, four years is a, whether it's at college or in the Marine Corps is a pretty substantial amount of time. Mm-hmm. You didn't get anything from that. Like, wow. Right, you're, you're, you're the problem. Like were your eyes yeah. open? Were you breathing? Like what? <laughs> well, that's what I tell kids that, you know, when I was a recruiter and also when I ran the office, you know, you may very well go in this for four years and hate it and hate yeah. every single moment of it. You're still going to get something out of it. You're going to get friends. You're going to get benefits. And those things will set you up. Those are usually the kids that go out and get like bitch and moto tats too when they're done. They, yeah. they, oh, yeah. They're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I hate it. <laughs> and then the, the, day one while they're out on Facebook, moto tat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, and but I mean, it, it just to the point though. It's like you, yeah, you could do four or five years, and it could be what you think is the worst experience in your life, but it's still going to carry you so so far. You know, like. Mm-hmm. In everything that you do, like, I mean, I don't know. We could rattle off all the benefits. We've been talking about the your college experience in GI Bill. I'm assuming you use GI Bill? Yeah, I use the Post-911. That's mm-hmm. a huge, huge benefit, man. I mean, just like, yeah. no, I didn't get anything. I, oh, you didn't? Like, you didn't earn your <laughs> basically free college. You actually get paid now to go to college. Like, yeah, it's great. Like, you didn't earn that? Like, I don't know. That, that drives I actually, I get really, really frustrated. I mean, and I know that's like a, that's a thorn in a lot of recruiter sides too, is the Marines that have been out for a while. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or just putting it on blast. Like, Oh, this is the reason why I have, you know, alcoholism and depression and blah, 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 blah. And all these things. And I'm like, no fool. That is not why. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I wonder, I often wonder like how I would have made it. Um, if I'd have, I think I would have got the job done, but I would have probably pissed a lot of people off. Like, yeah you know the recruiting is is that you have to get passionate about it or at least have that like give a shit factor when you're talking if you don't have that ability to like passionately express what the marine corps has done for you as dorky as that sounds and as motarded as that sounds (laughs) it's not going to do anything for you because the difference between the services is that is that you know the marine corps is always built upon that seed that was planted it's something intangible and when that kid walks through that door in the recruiting office that recruiter is either going to confirm that they want to do this or it's going to push them off the edge and be like nope i'm out yeah yeah it is such a big intangible you know aspect of it totally agree with that yeah i i, I, I rocked all the speeches everything man i was ready to go you know I was so ready to go. I, I felt like, um, I know it was going to be hard work, but I felt like I was going to be good at it. And to be honest, like at that point I was, I was thinking maybe I would do the career recruiting thing, um, for a lot of different reasons. I just wasn't sure where I was actually at and how I would fit back into the fleet after mm-hmm. like, like I was, like I was saying, I was struggling and I knew going out on recruiting duty, I was, I was going to have a harder time. So, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish, uh, Sometimes I wish I would have done that, but I mean, you know, I went to HMX after that, and um, now that I'm out and living my life, I'm I'm pretty fucking happy. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, when, what years were you at HMX? Um, thirteen to six, like just shy of sixteen, two and a half years. Aaron Crawford. If I saw a picture, I bet I do. He's a skinny little kid. He looks young, young, young too. I, I mean, he's a kid that we put in. What What was he? What was his MOS? Do you know? He was an MP, yeah. Really? 
Yep. I'd have to look him up. I, I mean, yeah, actually, I mean, I might have missed him. Might have just missed him, but I may know him. If I don't know him from HMX, he may have been one of my students. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple that I'm sure you probably know that I either put in or I oversaw my Marines putting in. Mm-hmm. Would you get many MPs out of Washington? Um, you know, a decent amount. Did you tell? You know, them, did you tell them that they got the guaranteed fifty-eight contract, but they could still wind up a yeah fifty-eight hundred corrections? <laughs> you just would tell them fifty-eight hundred field. Yeah, because you show them the contract. Because nowadays you actually sign for it. Yeah. At the recruiting office, and so you do explain it. You go through line by line, like no you need this. You that shit. No one, <laughs> no one told me that I dodged a bullet and didn't. Because uh, your recruiter is bad. Then I mean, I do feel really bad because this one kid, you know, really wanted to be an MP, and I was like, it's a fifty-eight hundred field, you know. And his recruiter may have told him like, hey, it's like you're not guaranteed fifty-eight eleven. You're guaranteed fifty-eight hundred. Um, but anyway, he ended up being brig, and I do feel bad about that one. He was a really good kid. Um, still friends with him. I'm still friends with quite a few of the kids that. As, a rec- as I ran the recruiting office, um, friends with them. There's a couple that have re-enlisted. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel bad for him because I know he really wanted to be a cop. I feel like, is that, is that um, I have zero relationship with my recruiter. I've never had it. Is that, a, is that normal or, or are you, I guess what I'm asking is it, is it not normal for you to maintain? I mean, how does that work? Maybe because you're in your hometown still. I don't know, but. Um, well, I think there's a mix because even the kids that I put in as a canvassing recruiter, like in 2006, I'm, I'm friends with a handful of them too. Uh, I think it depends on how you were as a recruiter because like for me, I wanted to be like my recruiter. My recruiter showed me the fucking world. Like I, I respect that man so much just because he showed me like, Hey, you don't have to be stuck in Everett, Washington for the rest of your life. (laughs) Joey, stop. (laughs) He's excited about something. Um, yeah, no, it, he, he opened the world to me. I had no idea. Like I had graduated high school. I had known my recruiter for the whole, my whole senior year. I worked at a coffee stand, him and the, all the guys in the shop used to come get coffee for me, but he never once asked me about the Marine Corps. And I think the reason why is just because there wasn't, they weren't actively recruiting females at that time. Yeah. And so for him, it wasn't a matter of like, Oh, this is just a girl that knows all the kids that I put in, but I could also give them leads. Like, Oh, you know, so-and-so, he was saying, you know, like he was thinking about this or this person was like, Hey, you know, this person was out doing, you know, something bad, you know? And he's like, okay, I got it. You know, just looking out for those guys. And I, out of like my senior class, I think there was like 10 of us that joined. I was the, of the 10, the second to last one to get out. There's one more that's still in. He's a Sergeant major right now and still kicking it. So, but my recruiter actually came to my retirement. I feel like it was almost an obligation. I mean, I just was looking for a way out personally. Yeah. I think now that I look back on it, I stayed for very different reasons than why I joined. Tommy, did you feel obligated to go in because your dad or was it something you always? No, not really. Cause I mean, it was, it was never pushed. Um, it, it actually shocked my parents when I told them I was joining, you know, and I think I've mentioned it before, you know, when I was little, Growing up on 29 Palms, that's all I wanted to do was drive tanks. So yeah. every Halloween, I was dressed as a Marine and all that stuff. And then as I got older, I'm like, eh, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, and then I you know, made the decision. But, yeah, I had called my parents up because, actually, I met the recruiters at my parents' house. Yeah. Um, that way that way, nobody was going to be lying to me about whatever. <laughs> at least I had some backup. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I, I called my parents up and I said, hey, by the way, uh, you know, 
I'm going to be stopping by tomorrow with a uh, you know a couple Marines. Oh, well, what's going on? I was like, well, the recruiters, and I'm going to join. And they're like, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. you know, and I mean, they were you know obviously you know very happy about it. But yeah, it, it was a it was a shock to them. But like I said, I got two older brothers and an older sister. It was never it was never pushed on any of us. Like I said, when when Dad came home, he was Dad. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't. I had friends that. You know, I'd go over to their houses and, you know, it was, it was like being in boot camp, you know, just being at their house where it was oh. just, you know, constant yelling and all that shit. But, and again, I mean, you have that in the military, now the military, some people got better home lives than others, but yeah, it was never, mm. it was never, you know, none of us ever felt that we had to join. But again, for me, that was my path in life at the time. That was pretty much my only option other than <laughs> ended up in jail or some shit. So <laughs> Melissa, do you have a history of uh, military in your family or was this like a, just something you just decided to do? This was definitely a one-off. Um, my, my grandmother and grandfather met during world war two. My grandfather was in the Royal air force. And so growing up, like he had the English accent and everything, Love it. Um, but it wasn't like, he wasn't in for very long. And he, you know, I don't have any memories of him, military uniform, anything like that. And then with my uncles, two, let's see, I have two uncles that were in the Navy, one uncle that was in the, the army. And then I have an aunt that was in the army for like two seconds. But again, by the time I was coming of age, like when I was 15, no one talked about the military, nothing. It was not a part of my life. I didn't know anyone in it. Um, so it really kind of changed because one of the recruiters is like, well, what do you want to do? And I had some books on the counter at the coffee stand. I was like, well, I think I want to be a cop or maybe go into law enforcement somehow. And he's like, well, why don't you come talk to us? I was like, there's no females in the Marine Corps. And he's like, yes, we do have females in the Marine Corps. I did not think there was. Mm-hmm. And went and had lunch. And then it just turned into something. I was like, wow, I have no idea. And I was like, well, maybe I should just investigate my options. Because I was a grad female that scored 50 on the ASVAB or 50 or higher on the ASVAB. I scored a 52. And like my GT was like 110 or something like that. So I was an alpha. I know all these things now because of recruiting and running the station. Um, so I was, a, you know, a high, um, high priority target, you know, as a female alpha. And he never pushed me. He never like rushed, but I went and talked to all the other services. And when I went and talked to the other services, the army guy was just all about money, throwing money at me. The Air Force didn't even have time for me because I only scored a 52 on the ASVAB, so I wasn't smart enough for the Air Force. And plus, he just seemed really, like, pompous, yeah. just, like, kind of like a jagoff, you know? Yeah. And then the Navy, you know, all my uncles went into the Navy, but they got stationed at Everett, where we're from. And I was like, well, that's weird, you know? And they all got out after four years. And so I chose not to do any of those. And so I went back to the Marine Corps and I was like, all right, let's do this. Thumbs up and did it. And I got into a lot of trouble with all my uncles. Like they said all kinds of things to me. They're like, you're ruining the family's tradition. I'm like, you guys don't even talk about the Navy. Um, you're, you're going to get raped. You're going to get beat up. You're never going to make it. It's the Marine Corps. It's bad. They're mean. They're all these things. None of that. And here you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't, you know, I'm not, I'm, I mean, obviously there's terrible cases in all. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. People, people have some serious misconceptions, I think, or, or used to, I don't know. I think a lot yeah, of you know, like the, the, the sexual assault stuff, you know, that's in the military. Yeah, it happens, but it happens way more. It's not like we get this like weird section of the populace of the country. These are people that come from society. Yeah. It's not just 
a new thing in the military. Yeah, no, they're just bringing, they're bringing all the same stuff into the military. Yeah, that's all it is. That's crazy. If anything, we have a smaller, you know, sample size that we can fix and we can take care of, mm-hmm. you know, and we can train like, hey, this is how you ask for consent. This is how you do this. You know, I spent the last like five years of my Marine Corps career, I was a UVA for all the commands that I had been with at that time when I left like security battalion at the PMO and then went to law enforcement battalion. And then when I went to recruiting station, Seattle, I was the UVA for each one of those. Mm. Yeah. That's a tough job, huh? Yeah, it is tough. I mean, I think I got more work when I was at the LE battalion, um, actually having, you know, people, but, and I did way more like briefs. I was like, you know, loaned out to other commands, you know, like radio battalion to do briefs and do the whole NCO like bystander training. Uh, It's not great. But I think I really kind of got through to quite a few Marines. So I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, so UVA is Uniform Victim Advocate, just in case anybody misses that. But that's like uh, not a – I mean, I don't know. It's one of those jobs like everyone will jump in and do it because you know you can help, but it's not something like you would necessarily chase at. You know, I don't – it's one of those hard things to deal with. No one wants to volunteer for it. You get voluntold, and then you make the most that you can do with it. Just do everything you can to help people. I mean – I don't know. It's, it is one of those jobs though, where whether you want to do it or you don't, like you actually can help people or you can impact people. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a, it's a collateral thing too. So it's just on top of all the other shit you got to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I mean, that's a tough gig. I don't know. What, uh, what else is going on? What do you think of the world today? Um, let's see. I think, <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel as though I'm way more independent in the middle. I think in a lot of things, I don't know. Like I said, I've listened to some of your guys' episodes and it's like, uh, you know, like Trump, I do think is a dumb dumb. And I think he's too loud and like mm-hmm. brash. Like he, Her assessment though. I don't think he behaves like a president should. I mean, even the last Republican president, you know, with Bush, I thought he behaved way better than Trump. But I also put it into perspective. I can step back and I can look at the bigger picture and be like, Trump was not a politician. He's a businessman. So that's how you get shit done. So, okay. All right. You know, that's fine. But the part that like worries me is how divided the country is. And that's the part that stresses me out. Like it, it, it really like keeps me up at night and I think about it, you know, like, well, if this one, these two people just didn't go and you know, worry about some house that was broken in, then there wouldn't be this disconnect here, you know, and if maybe if this didn't happen or, you know, a bunch of you know people that want the country to open up didn't show up with a bunch of rifles because that, that just is like crunchy and it's gross, you know, like you're just super makes like discontent. It's just gross. Yeah. I, so I think that, I, I don't know, I can't speak for every veteran, but I think it bothers veterans, honestly, like um, how divided shit gets. Like if you look at, um, even just like how, how things are going, like you, you're in a blue state, Tommy's in a red state, I'm in a red state. And like, let's just talk about how they're open, you know, like how they open things back up has become basically political. Like blue states are going to stay locked down. Red states are going to open up sooner. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, our state, it actually has moved into like, there's these certain, like each phase comes with like these detailed outlines of how they're going to, um, open it all it is is just like this massive amount of compromise oh you can see that was in there because 
you know, this side wants this to happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is in there because they need this to happen. And it just starts to get like ticky tacky because at a certain point, you know, instead of everyone just being like open about it, like literally open to have like discussions. It's like, we all want the same thing, the economy to open. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the goal. Now let's step back and see how we're going to do this. Right. And when it comes down to, oh, well, we'll, we'll open this if, you know, if this happens and that happens, and then it comes down to it's not even about trying to get shit back open again. It's people, you know, with the power just trying to get more shit themselves. It has nothing to do with wanting to get right. Yeah. That's that's the biggest frustrating thing for me. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't – um this mask thing has been an issue – like it's, it played itself out on our page the other day. Like my wife wears a mask because you know, she's like Asian and stuff. And that's like been part of her culture for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's very not normal for me to wear a mask. I'll wear one when I feel sick. Yeah. Because that's really what that mask is going to help with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not prepared to die on that Hill. Like I'm not going to go to, uh, I'm not going to like, I'll throw a mask on if a store wants me to fucking put a mask on, but it's like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, my civil liberties have been violated. But it seems to be like a massive issue that people are seriously upset about, like seriously, seriously upset about, but, but it speaks to like the one size fits all type of shit. We try to do like, Mm -hmm. even in Washington, Eastern Washington is not Seattle. Yeah. Right. Like fucking New York city is not Buffalo. Like, um, I don't know, man. I mean, they're trying to, they're trying to blanket, you know, policy, this whole thing. It just doesn't work. Like there's, there's literally counties in this country that have not seen a single COVID case, but they're yeah. locked down like everybody else. That's, that's a little weird. And yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I'm on like the, if you will, the red side of the state guys, stop. Um, so I'm on the red side of the state, but we have high numbers in our little County because we have one of the Tyson meatpacking plants. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Totally. So it's a huge hit. So like, we think we have like 1200 cases and I think like just under a hundred or we might just hit a hundred deaths, but a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, secret living facilities. Have they said anything locally? Like why these meat factories are getting hit so hard? Uh, Like, this is a thing. This is a thing across the country. It seems to be a, uh, COVID seems to be like a fucking magnet at meat packing plants for some reason. Like, because most of my customers work at those places. Just saying. I mean, is that and Tommy? Seriously, is that, large it? Is that one of the reasons or no? Do you think- I, that would be my guess. Again, I'm I'm no authority on it, but I, I am an authority on saying that the majority of my customers work at so uh, guessing, packing plants. So I'm guessing like we, and, and, we could just say that there's a profile of type of people that work at, at that type of industry and they must be more vulnerable to COVID or whatever. Well, the interesting part is that it's it, the meat packing plants, but yet we have a lot of like food processing plants here, you know, just yeah. cause we have, um, Lambert Weston, which is all potatoes, you know, all yeah. the potatoes, whether it's like, you know, sh- the sweet potatoes, regular russet potatoes, any of those, yeah. that's a huge part of Washington, you know, um, like the economy here. But then we also have other pro- food processing. So we have apples, but it's not the same, I mean, it might turn into that because, you know, it's not apple season yet. We're just gearing up. It's not vineyard season yet. You know, so we're just like, we're just now getting like little clusters on the grapevines. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just not the season for it, but all the rest of the food processing plants, you know, whether it's like onions, onions is going right now, you know, potatoes are going right now. It's not the same situation. So that's the part where I don't understand why it's just the meat packing plants. Yeah. It's been, it was such a weird thing. I thought like all of a sudden, like, because it's not just like one state or something, you know, this is happening all over the states. 
that have these factories tend to be getting hit hard. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, what is what is the workforce going to look like when it when you guys harvest your grapes and stuff? Like, where does that workforce come from, and like how how vulnerable are you to possibly seeing COVID at your winery? Um, well, so our our forces, like I said, we harvest about two hundred and seventy acres. Um, but we have the same crew. So when I say family owned and operated, it, it extends. Oh, no shit. Yeah, there's like no. As well. no. Wow. But these families, you know, have been with the Williams family for decades now. And it's just like, you know, the words like the father helped with, you know, my boss making the wine. Well, now it's his son helping my boss's son. Yeah. You know, so you don't have like a, you don't have like a seasonal workforce that comes in, helps out, and then moves on from the next winery. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we do. Well, we have the same kind of crew that kind of happens every year. So it's it's we do have like an influx of different people, but that's usually with cherries. And I don't really know the circumstances with that because the owners they also have thirty acres of sweet cherries. Yeah, and so I'm not sure how that goes. But for our vineyard crew, it's you know we have um, seasonal workers but it's like the same crew year after year. Yeah. It's just been interesting to see like what industries have been impacted and how it'll be interesting to see in like about three months, how different it is like we just had, like I was just reading in the news. Um, well, not really the news or someone's Instagram post that one of the vineyards, um, one of the actual vineyard managers had passed away because of COVID-19. Mm. You're so, very appropriate in how you label the disease too, by the way. <laughs> well, I got it's a background the, in science. The yeah, we tend, it's the Wuhan. We tend to it's throw, the Wuhan. throw other shit around, but um, yeah, I don't. I mean, this is kind of. It's honestly been fucking fascinating to me. Like, it's sad. Don't get me wrong. Like, we're almost we're nearing ninety thousand deaths. Like, uh-huh. uh, ninety thousand people died. So we can talk about how they labeled it, if how they were labeled, or if they died from it or with it. I, I mean, yeah. we're, I'm sure these numbers are going to fluctuate. Um, but still, you know, that's a lot of fucking people that died. And, it's sad, man. It's terrible. But at the same time, like, holy shit, like, what are we doing? You know, I don't, I don't know yeah. what we're, I don't know what we're doing. Right. And it seems really weird. And you're right. I think it only added to more division, to be honest. Like, I think Oh, it absolutely. It. Especially when, um, when you tar- start talking like the socioeconomic, like landscape of when, pe- how people are affected in these little towns or like these little, or these big cities, um, it makes sense because you're not going to have the same access to certain things. Okay. So if you're like a soup, like they're just talking about New York, how the super rich just like bounced and went to the Hamptons. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, they're super rich. Good for them. Don't we all strive to be that? Or am I going to be envious of some dude that I don't even know? I'm not going to be envious. I'm just going to work hard myself. And so that way I have something for my family. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, there's also like a really easy practical way to protect yourself. This isn't something that's like rocket science. This is like washing your hands. It's about hygiene. It's about, you know, taking care of things. But when we look at like some places like India and Mumbai, you know, the slums, they're not able to have the same infrastructure. Yeah, they don't have access to those basic hygiene. Yeah, as our like, you know, a living below the poverty line. Right. Their po- the poverty in Mumbai or something like that is poverty unlike anything any American would see. Oh yeah. I don't think it would even register. Yeah. Well, I mean, some places when I was in Thailand, um, when the tsunami happened back in like 2000 and I remember, yeah, 2006, six. Um, maybe I yeah, don't that was kind of, it wasn't the touristy areas, the resort areas and, you know, Phuket, you know, it was like everything else that I saw there that was crazy. Yeah. I saw some of that recently in the Philippines, uh, with my family when we were traveling, uh, yeah parents live there and probably a lot like you know thailand it's great yeah it's crazy 
Um, it seems like such a simple answer, but uh, it's weird to say like that people wouldn't have access to like clean water to wash their hands. But it, it, there's, yeah, that's actually true. You know, like yeah. places Shit, they, they ain't got that in Flint. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah you're right. They don't. I mean, you know, their infrastructure in Flint, Michigan, so fucked. It's like it's like acid coming out and, of. And, and it's like and it's like it's how does that happen in America? And yeah, it, right. I mean, and how has it been like a decade since that problem started and it's still not fixed? Yeah, right. So that's why I'm hoping, I'm really, really hoping we're going to see, you know, I know the Democrats threw up this $3 trillion bill or whatever. We can talk about whatever's in it, but I'm, I'm hoping we do see something on infrastructure. I think that's super, super important. Um, so important. Yeah. I think it'll bring a ton of jobs back. I think you can target places like Flint and fix that infrastructure. Cause that's, Flint's not the only one. There's just the one that got outed at this point, you know, right. or, or right. trying to cover it up. So, I mean, there's going to be plenty of other places that have this aging, nasty infrastructure that's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention like, our, it's not like our population is slowing down, you know, so mm-hmm. it's already overwhelmed. We better fix it before, um, something more happens. Yeah. But I think it'd yeah. be, I think it'd be good for the economy. I think it'd be good for jobs. I think it'd be good for, you know, a lot of reasons, but we'll see. I don't know. You're right though. I mean, it's, um, for a while I was trying to say like, no, we're not that divided. And Oh God. Maybe yeah. That, right. Maybe, in terms of like, I guess like race relations, maybe we're not as bad as people would make it out. But in, in terms of like where we all fall, like politically or like what side mm-hmm. of the aisle we're on, we are, there's a, like the, the grand Canyon is between us, you know, like yeah. there aren't many people. Um, if you, if you, if you declare yourself one side or the other, there aren't many people that can come to the middle and talk. Um, I, I've, no, it's like, it, it, there's like a, a line of you just, you can't talk, you can't negotiate, you can't compromise, you can't have like intelligent compromise, you know, I, most of the time I'm just quiet because you say anything against anyone that's a Democrat or liberal, yeah. you're automatically a racist. So you just kind of sit there and listen. Yeah, you, you can't even have that. the conversation. Well, there's definitely, there's definitely some people that are on the right that are kind of the same way too. But uh, Absolutely. I just feel like I'm so in the middle that yeah. if I were to try to have that conversation with someone, yeah, on both sides, you're labeled one way or another. And it's all about the labeling where I feel like I'm purple. I'm not red or blue. So I'm, I would own that color. Because um, socially, like there's a ton of stuff I just do not care about. Right. It just it doesn't bother me, and like and a lot of conservatives would be like, "Oh, that's the, really how could you? How does that not upset you?" It's like because it's none of my fucking business, dude. Like, right, right, right. It's just it's yeah. I can I can I can take you know good things from both sides and mm-hmm. you know live my life, but it's baffling to me what people people get upset about what they what they get. Yeah. Grant right or just like things on the internet like just like you know i don't know if you guys have twitter but twitter is a mean fucking dumpster fire it is so mean and so quick to jump on anything i never post anything but for a while there i wanted you know information about the news and our news was a little bit slow so and i don't have facebook on my phone just because i was in school and i was so distracting just yeah. never got on my phone so i have instagram that's like easy it's pictures and i can still listen yeah. but you don't get news on Instagram necessarily from our news stations locally. And I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for years, just got all like the streaming services. And so I would get on Twitter and that would give me better links to figure out the news, right. With all the news stations. Oh man. Thanks to read all the comments. Careers can can start and take off and die on Twitter in a week. 
Yes. And you can totally be deplatformed. It's a fucking dumpster fire. It's insane. Yeah. What ha- like, <laughs> if you don't have a Twitter account, get one and follow all the crazy shit you love and just watch the. Sh- it's just a. It's literally a shit show every day. Well, it's so weird how people think, oh, I put something out on Twitter. Now I'm published and this is my truth and I know it's right. Instead of like factual evidence, you know, and doing research and like reading about it. it people are so quick to share in t- instead of like actually reading and reading to understand or reading to even comprehend. It's just like, okay, well, I see it said A, but I feel my truth is it's really saying C. So I'm going to share this and say C. So we have that on Facebook. We do that on Facebook all the time. And a lot of, time, a lot of the stuff we push is, is just to try to create conversation. I'm not saying anybody sure. is going to back it or any of that stuff, you know, but if we can get a conversation out of it, that's kind of what we, what we aim to. But there are definitely people out there that push it and they're like, this is fucking factual. And you're like, actually, no way. Not. Like, yeah. And that's the part that, like on Facebook, I usually just share like the winery that I work for. I just share yeah. like, you know, things that come out about our winery just because it's gotten so like problematic. It's to the point where, you know, you don't want to comment on someone's things because you don't want to get into some random fight or some random argument with someone you've never even met before. And I'm not like a keyboard, like talk about our things. I'm a person that's like, I need to communicate and talk to you and explain to you what I think. Yeah. Like we had, um, we had an exchange about masks the other night and like apparently um, because I, I'm not personally one that wants to wear a mask. Like apparently, um, we're, I'm a terrible veteran because a veteran would know better and I'm uneducated and like, dude, I got a fucking master's degree, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, it's like, come on, like you're making these lofty assumptions on some shit. Like, dude, I listen, I sleep with a mask on my face every single night just to get through the night. Yeah. I don't want to have a mask on all day, every day. You know, right. it's just, it's, you got that it's, sleep pap, huh? Yeah. It's my situation. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like my situation tells me I, I need to have times where I'm not in a mask. Yeah. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to air that shit out all over Facebook necessarily. Like, yo, I got, you know, it's like, fuck dude. I, I wear a mask so I don't like, choke my you, tongue. Like I don't need one every and day. And you don't have, you don't have to air it out except for the fact that, you know, we, most of the time we're dealing with idiots on Facebook. If, if you could just have, if you could just have a civil conversation that, you know, the fact that you sleep with a mask would never come up. It's just yeah. two people talking, Hey, this is why I'm against masks. You know, whatever it's right. But that well, never, but never, never is, happens on Facebook. Yeah. Or the person <laughs> that gets mad that has to like, what, what makes it about that person that has to say, well, you're a bad veteran. Like, why don't they just like hold that in and be like, am I going to lose sleep over this? If I don't tell this person that yeah. he's a bad veteran, you're not going to lose sleep. You're still going to sleep. It's going to be fine. Do you have to put that to that person? Do you have to say that? You know, like my, uh, my last year, like I had this really motivated, you know, Pooley. She's a Marine now. She's a Sergeant. She's on the East coast and she's married, got a kid and everything. Super proud of her, but she was awesome. She could do 10 pull-ups, you know, and I took a video and I put it on RSS Kennewick's little Facebook page. And I think our Instagram and this girl, this other female Marine commented, just like, please, I've been doing pull-ups or I could do more pull-ups when I was in sixth grade. Good why for you. you. What, what, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. What's, what's the, yeah. Why does that, why did that become so personal for you all of a sudden? Right. right. <laughs> what, what about seeing this other female Marine instead of like, that's awesome. You go girl, you know, something but you have to degrade and say that. Well, also congratulations because you're not in sixth grade anymore. Yeah. <laughs> She's 19 and she's doing 10 pulls before she goes to the Marine Corps boot camp. 
That's, that's awesome. Fucking, that's fucking impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. I think I think I think boot camp's the only time I ever did ten pull-ups. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I don't again, like I've had this conversation before. Pull-ups for females is not easy. I don't care what anybody says. Like that is no, it's a not. very difficult standard to train to. Uh, it's not easy for men. Um, yeah. you know, and then we have, and, and biologically, I feel like we have the advantage in upper body strength. I, I feel like we just do. Um, and I, and I used to laugh at Marines too, like at the schoolhouse, I would make some of my males do the, the hang fucking thing and they would yeah, the flex arm hang or whatever. Yeah, they couldn't do it. Like, you know, it's like, let's play this game. If you want to play this game, like let's talk about how this is designed for men and women, you know? Um, yeah. cause it, you know, everybody's quick to say all oh, that, that flex hang is bullshit. Have you ever done it? You yeah. Know? Um, I don't, I mean, we got a little off topic. I don't know, but yeah, it's like, why would you, why, why make a comment about something? Why does that impact you? Well, yeah. Like I, that's right. the part that like just kills me. It's like, is that going to keep you up at night? Oh my God. I got to tell this person. They're so wrong about this. Like, what is it? That but you know what? People like that, it probably is going to keep them up all night if they don't say it. Then they don't, don't have enough problems. Like they need to work. Well, no, obviously. Aspects of their lives, <laughs> well, you know, it's like, well, they, but that's why they're on Facebook doing that shit. Um, you know? A couple things. That found, there's a few things yeah. I found myself willing to engage in. There's some political stuff. Like I am, I am adamantly against socialism. I don't, oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why. Um, I'm sure there's some benefits to it, but for whatever reason, it fucking scares the shit out of me. And I, I, I will call it at pace. I'll, I'll jump in on that every time. And then hypocrisy. There's some hypocrisy stuff. I think everybody, maybe to a degree, everyone's probably been hip- hypocritical at some point, but mm-hmm. it's like, if you're out running around during a lockdown, buying chocolates that you don't need, and then, and then hashtagging stay home, we're going to have a conversation. About that. Sure, yeah. I, I'm going to call you on that because you know, yeah. it's like you're fucking ridiculous. Like, well, and, and those are the things that, that, that does make sense. Cause then you're putting it into a perspective for that person to be like, Oh, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not necessarily attacking you personally about your fucking pull-ups and I'm not, I'm not trying to feel bad for myself that no one congratulated me on the pull-ups that I've done. Yeah, it's like these little snipes, you know, like it's like a sniper, you know, like, you know, when you're giving a class presentation or you're talking in front of a class and someone gives you that little sniper, you know, some question that's like completely irrelevant or is difficult to answer or something. And you're like, was that necessary or it's off topic or it's not even about it? It's like, it, does it make you feel better? Like, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. The gotcha, the gotcha shit is weird, especially like with female Marines. That's kind of, that, that's even a little more strange to me because um, there are so few female Marines and there's not, there's not enough supporting each other. You know what I mean? Usually right. when there are around, they're very supportive. Yeah. Um, I know it can get a little cutthroat when, when they compete, but it's like, a, that sounds like this person didn't even know that Marine. No, no, no. I have no idea. She's a Marine active duty somewhere in the world. And I'm talking about in little Richland, Washington, my <laughs> little police that's going to go to boot camp in three months, you know? That 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 Marine should have been like, I want that girl in my squad. I want that Marine to come and right. Yeah, right. Like, like hell wanna, yeah, that's awesome. What's her MOS going to be? Yeah, yeah. I want to help build that, and I want to see her. I want to be a part of her success. Not that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know, man. So weird. So it weird. is weird. <laughs> Tommy, I know you get shit like that all the time too. Like, just like in your line of work, you know, people people just make lofty ass assumptions, and you're like, you're so wrong. You know, yeah. Like, uh, yes, and and I'm more than happy to, you know, and and most of them, you know, will have a conversation. But about like now during work when I'm actually, you know, arresting a person and the family member has issues, they're not going to listen to anything I say anyway. But right. but there are a lot of people like that. I mean, even you know, when you and I first started talking about it all, there was a lot that you didn't know, and that's the thing. Just a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. Right. And maybe, and yeah, you have the assumptions of, Oh, this is what's happening. And it, 
isn't necessarily the case, but yeah, the biggest thing. But, no. the, but then there's the ones I can tell that we I do not have kids locked up in cages. Oh yeah, I know you do. You just keep mm-hmm. them hidden. Okay, you're right. <laughs> the problem is people are just riding other, other than my own kids, but <laughs> people are riding assumptions and they don't want to be educated though. That's the problem, you know. Yeah. When it's not the cool thing to, you know, the, that's not the narrative that the media wants you to know. Like, it's not, it's not going to angle it to a certain presumptive, this is what it is. So if it doesn't fit that, they're not going to talk about it. Right. I hope after this, I hope after this Flynn stuff, um, there's going to have to be some reformation going on inside the media where they're going to have to, I mean, they're, they're, it's all starting to fall apart. Right? And they're starting to prove that basically like major media outlets has completely mm-hmm. been lying to us for, for years, knowingly lying to us. Like that's the, some of that shit's going to have to change here. I mean, just, no one's going to be able to get any kind of information from a, a, a news source, you know? Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> Oh man! I, That's one great thing about um, the wine industry because it's science fair. and a little bit of art, but you—it's science. Like there's nothing else you can do about it. It to make fermentation happen, it is science. It's chemistry and it's great. It's like black and white. That's one reason why I liked AIS back in the days because I didn't have to hear about the girl that left the door unlocked yeah you know b- both parties could be taken to the hospital and i've just got physical evidence and i can do it you know it's the like numbers it's, the numbers tell the story yes. yeah yes absolutely you guys would be I told you guys would be proud of me that's right? what i told god <laughs> <laughs> that's why i've told coon before that you know before i joined i wanted to come back and just be a you know local beat cop and having the you know this specialized job with ais you know, that's steered me, you know, for my after career. I didn't want to have the neighbor calling on their other neighbor because the dog yeah. was barking or whatever. I wanted something specialized that made it simpler. Now, granted, the <laughs> the job I have now is all over the media and hot topic and all that. But I know, but I just, that's all I'm dealing with. You know? mm-hmm. I don't have all the other bullshit. Yeah, you guys, I mean, I remember some of the things that you, that you guys, like your office, taught me about traffic accidents. I remember being able to spot them when uh, we would do post-blast shit in Iraq. And, um, oh, yeah. Like when the vehicles like w- came to rest and all that shit, like uh-huh. you could tell like where they were when the actual IED went off and shit, like, like point of uh-huh. impact on the pavement, all that shit. Like, yeah. Some of that stuff carried over. I remember, I actually, I would think about you guys often when I would go, it was weird because I'm like cleaning this shit up, but it was kind of like you know it's kind of like that like kind of it's physical evidence you know it's it's very black and white you can't i mean granted there's some people that can misread you know there's a lot of documentaries misreading evidence or intentionally misreading evidence to fit what they want it to be um but you know the beauty of physical evidence is that it's just that it's black and white it's there and you're telling the story of that evidence yeah I like that. I like that too. I mean, in my line of work, I feel like most, like, um, I educate myself and then I do like security. I, I look at things as like from a security perspective, I think like the bad guy and I just point it out, you know, and sure. it, it's what it is. Like, um, I don't have to like play political games or any of that stuff. You know, I can be like, well, mm-hmm. actually, like I, you could drive a car up to this door. So it's, that's a bad thing. Um, right. Pretty, right. Pretty, pretty simple. And usually it's, you can't argue that, you know, and, and I enjoy, I like right. that because I don't have to, I don't have to play games with people. And um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think um, I've tried really, really hard recently to like Tommy and I talk about all the time. We say no power. 
Um, I just try not to grant too much power to people in my life, you know, like, like, Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to send these little snipes or gotcha moments to people. It's just not worth it. You know, (laughs) I don't, I don't want that in my life. And you know, when people do it to me, I've learned, um, I don't, like I said, I don't engage much. I let a lot of shit go Mm -hmm. (laughs) every now and again. I'm like, yeah, okay. We're going to have this one. Yeah. But, uh, usually, usually I do pretty good. Man, I never, I didn't expect this. I, I mean, I, Tommy, you didn't tell me like we were talking wine today, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, it's just like, I love it. Like when you, like what you, what gotta, you talk about. Gotta, gotta keep some surprises, man. Don't want you, yeah. gotta, gotta keep you on your toes, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, 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 <laughs> Melissa, I know you, but I didn't know you were into wine and I didn't, yeah. like, this is your industry. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know this is your industry. Like, um, it's good when you get like surprised with where these things go. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. You know, the part that, you know, people automatically go to is just assume that I'm like a sommelier. So, you know, and that's that way deep Rain Man stuff, you know, smelling a wine and being like, oh, this is, you know, old world. This is Bordeaux. This is 1978. This is blah, blah, blah. It was, it was planted on the west side of the mountain on a cool mist. Yes. <laughs> Someone yeah. took a piss near the corner of this right, vine right. number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I think much props to those guys. I think that their job is so important just to like learn people's palates and be able to help them out, you know, with it. And as long as they don't go like super strong on like the food pairing, because it's, it kind of stresses me out a little bit when people always talk about, Oh, this will pair really well with this. You're, you're talking about something that's, it's much more than, you know, apples and oranges. It's just like, there's, there's chemistry that goes on with it. So don't always get hung up on like food pairings with wine. Just if you enjoy the wine, sometimes if you have like a really big wine, it is nice because when you're cutting it with a steak, it's going to help soften like those big aggressive tannins, you know, it makes it more smooth. It it does like kind of pair off each other. People get really wrapped up on that. And and that's something that people will ask me like, Ooh, what should I pair this with? I'm like, Oh no, like, what do you like? You know? And, whatever suits your fancy. <laughs> I don't know. What are you having for dinner? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and the, yeah, like the biggest thing about wine is like, uh, I do kind of laugh when people like, Oh, so you're like that, that person that comes. I'm like, I am not, I'm the person that's like back a few steps. I'm the person that is watching the grapes come in, doing analysis. And then we're starting fermentation. I make it alcohol you know, so, and I help it age and I track the health of it and make sure it's good. And you, you know, all those like, things. I'm the one who makes you feel good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not the one that can rain man that stuff. And I, I mean that, that stress, I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of those documentaries. Like there's a couple of movies on Netflix. It's called SOM S O M M. I definitely recommend them. They're really cool to watch and everything, but it is stressful because they go through like these master sommelier certifications and they'll have like six wines and they have to put it down to the vintage, the producer, um, the vineyard, everything right there, you know, whether it's new world or old world. And I, that's not me. Yeah. We, well, we have a, our, our guy, Cody, he's uh he's in the beer industry and he's basically doing, uh, I think he, what does he call it? A Cicerone? Something. Um, something. He's, he's taking a test. <laughs> but he, he, he did mention that it's not a beer. The beer side isn't near as fancy as the wine. Yeah, side. but I mean, yeah, he's, I think yeah, beer side he's, is fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's still science. It's all. It's yeah, still a lot it's, of the oh, yeah, for sure. It's all about those fermentations. You know, it's like you know, what is this? Is this is a is this is a pilsner? Oh no, we're doing a sour, and then there's this, and there's this. I mean, it's it's very similar. You know, most of the hops that actually get produced out to breweries, 
all come from the Yakima Valley, which is right next to me here. Nice. Yeah, I don't think people realize like where this shit actually comes from, and like no, not at all. The the levels of industry, like for people to, you know what I mean, like how many uh, jobs it create, you know, all that shit. Like when you when you have a beer, like there's a lot of people that came together. <laughs> so much goes into it. I mean, like so many little hops that go into that little beer, you know. And then that that's just talking about you know the drink, but that's not talking about the fermentation that happens. And so breweries they they spend a lot of time like with refrigeration because they have to have a ter- certain temperature on those tanks. Right. You know, when we're talking, we want temperature control, but we are more selective when it comes to oxygen, and we don't want the fermentation because the little yeasties in there, if they get too hot, they die off and they produce off off aromas. Yeah. You know that's when you get like a really sulfury um, like wine. Um, and you know, there's other things that we watch out for and not necessarily like breweries have breweries, you know, work with corks, you know, but there's another aspect where we have TCA, which is like cork taint, you know, so then you have to worry about those. And that's like an after product, you know, that's something that once the wine is in a bottle and it's out in market and someone's tasting it, you know, TCA, all you need is an alcohol and a halanosol. Mm-hmm. So. Heat matters, man. I mean, that's like your barrel position inside the distillery at Jack Daniels. Super, uh, super <laughs> important. Super in- important. It's how the whiskey interacts with the barrel. So the higher, right. yeah. So where you get your single barrels and some of your more refined whiskeys are usually going to be higher up in, in the in the barrel house. Right, because you can control more humidity. So like the things that are like up high. So if you think of it, it's really fascinating because barrels can go through like an ebb and flow, like a tidal kind of influx, yeah. you know, with weather. So what happens with those is that you're having air slowly escape and you're getting a vacuum on whatever it is in the barrel. And so the less amount of oxygen that interactions is good, but you're still going to have like an ebb and flow. Science class. Love this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, this is, I mean, this, I could talk about this stuff forever. This is fascinating, but Tommy, give me, give me some last thoughts. What are you, how are you feeling? Good. I, this is, uh, this is speaking of wine and alcohol. This is my first, uh, episode. I think we've done without me having a drink. No. Really? Yeah. And honestly, it's honestly it's only because I have so many more projects to do. I'd get my ass kicked. I'd get my ass kicked if I started drinking this afternoon. So, yeah, and we're going out tonight because the restaurants are open here in Ohio for patios oh. only, just the patios. But smart patio uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Tracy's been dying for a draft beer, so the our. Our uh, our Mexican restaurant right around the corner has a decent sized patio, and they have the biggest, coldest draft. So that's where that's where we're heading tonight. So I was I was informed that I should refrain from drinking till. Yeah, later, so. Well, so, dude, I'd be interested to hear about your, <laughs> hear about how that goes for you, man. Hopefully, you enjoy it. But oh yeah, you know I'll be yeah, you know I'll be texting you guys and stuff. So, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm we're gonna you know when we're done here, I got another set of blinds to do. I still got the toolbox to put together that I got for our anniversary and happy anniversary keep on keeping on. Yeah. Thank thank you. Happy anniversary too. Will do. Melissa, last thoughts and then um, plug your winery again. So people can look it up and take a look at what's going on over there. Sure. Um, Well, this was, I have been looking forward to this ever since we started talking about this. This was really fun and exciting for me. I love it because just listening to the several podcasts that I did, I was just enjoying it so much just because it just, it put me back into that moment, you know, where you're with like-minded individuals and you're able to have these conversations. And while you don't hundred percent or agree with each other, you're able to have these, you know, these, these conversations that are deep and impactful and meaningful and about how, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, 
it really was fun because I started topping barrels. So there's these regular maintenance things that you have to do in a winery. So I was topping barrels and I was just listening to these and I would just start laughing or I'd smile and I'm just like, man, it's just, it's just so nice. Like I feel like my Marine family is probably closer than my family family. Like outside of my like immediate family, like my husband, you know, my, my brothers and my aunt and uncle and everything. But man, just love you guys. This was just so cool. And uh, yeah, I work at Kiona Vineyards and Winery. Um, it's in Washington State. More specifically, it's in Benton City. And we do ship direct to consumers. So if you want some wine, um, we definitely have it. And we sh- we're shipping right now. So we probably won't stop shipping for weather until like July. And if there's anything you buy that's 2018 and 2019, I have definitely had a hand in making that. Love that. I will be I will be shopping tonight. Yeah, so oh, yeah, and one last thing, I'd be happy to do this again too. No, we want to have you back. Yeah, for sure. So my thing, like I always want to bring people back and whenever um you know, I, I don't know. I hope people don't think I'm just like parading my friends around and shit. Like a lot of <laughs> like, but it's like these are the veteran communities that I need to find. Yeah. I want Melissa and her husband to come on because I've never had like a couple that was active duty together. Yeah. And we could talk about that and we could educate young guys, you know. Uh, coming up and how that works and all that you know what I mean all that stuff so um and Mm -hmm. and our our minds change and our um our ideas change and we see things and like and like you said like like yeah there's a lot if we got deeper there's a lot we wouldn't agree on um oh yeah I'm sure still talk about it like well and the part that's like kind of crazy like I listened to one of your guys's uh conversations and you're talking about how you didn't have that college experience I can say you know because both my stepdaughters I have a 26 year old stepdaughter and I have a 21 year old stepdaughter who's now in the navy Um, but the two of them went to Pullman at WSU and I saw like the difference and I saw everything that they interacted with and everything. And I got to say that the the Marine Corps experience that what we shared and what we had is so much more closer because not only are we just like going to class at like noon, you know, at being hungover, we're, we're responsible for things, you know, we're carrying, you know, pistols on our side. We're, you know, carrying, you know, like the leadership aspect of the Marine Corps, you know, all these different things. I feel like what we went through is maybe a couple degree degrees higher. Our resolution is different. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, I don't, I don't, I'll take, I'll take my four years in the core over a four year degree any day of the week. Yeah. I'm just happy to be able to couple the two together, to be honest. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've lucked out that I've been, you know, fairly successful without needing a degree. So I'll, yeah. I'll just, take that. <laughs> all, I would say, all I would say is I'm just thankful that like, as far as like the, the education goes. I don't, it doesn't even at this point matter what I learned. It matters that I finished to me. That's the biggest thing. Right. And for me, um, not many people in my family had the opportunity to go to college. Um, and so that's that's a cycle breaker thing for me and for, for my family moving forward. It was super important to me. Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks for coming on guys. I mean, I mean, I, you guys like volunteer time to come and do these shows and I love it. I love it. I'm super thankful and hopefully your winery. Um, I mean, we can get more people exposed to what you're doing and, and yeah, we definitely love to have you back anytime. If you ever have a topic you want to just vent on, hit us up and we'll, we'll do it again. That's great. I'm yeah. I think this is pretty special. I like what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate it. So stay healthy guys. Tommy, have fun. Melissa, take care. Make right. yep. We'll wine. see you. I want to see a bottle with Melissa Whitaker's name on it though. At some point, Hey, if you send me your address, I would be happy to send you some. That's amazing. My, I'm sure. Maybe deal. deal. Yeah, my, Make that happen, Tommy. <laughs> start a group chat and then send me your guys' address and I'll send you some wine. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for your time and just stay healthy and, uh, you know, take care. 
All right, you guys too. You guys too. <laughs> we'll see you.